Hello. Hello. Hello, Roz. And, and welcome to Well, There's Your Problem. It's a podcast about engineering disasters with slides. Yeah, I'm, and we promised you a big fucking disaster this time. We promised you a mega death. Yes. We delivered. This is no, a killer death. It's a killer death. Not a mega oh, death. A mega it. death yeah. is a million deaths. Or oh, a decent-ish thrash metal band. Yeah. <laughs> Don't come for me. Don't come for me. Anthrax are the king of, uh, of uh, thrash. <laughs> I'm Justin Rosniak. I'm the person who's talking right now. My pronouns are he and him. Okay, go. I'm Alice Gorbel Kelly. I am the person talking now. My pronouns are she and her. Hey, Liam. Hi. Hey, Liam. I'm, I'm yeah, Liam yeah. Anderson. My pronouns are he and him. And we have a guest. We have a guest. Back again. It's Kyle. Yes. Kyle Hudak. My pronouns are he and him. You may, you may remember Kyle from the Grover House episode. Um, Many years ago. Yes. And owing to legal complications, we couldn't have him back on until uh, Low Tax was dead. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but here he yeah. is now. <laughs> Proud to announce that United States forces have caught and permanently compromised Richard Lotax Kianko. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, what, what we see in front of us is uh, a boat, and it's yeah. underwater. It's not supposed to be there. It's not not supposed to be like that. Oh uh, shit! I have to load the slide. God damn it! Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I closed the slides tab by accident. Cool, cool. How the whole thing has like, uh, like verdigris on it. That's nice, though. That's very aesthetic. Yeah, we have we have we have Kyle on because he knows everything there is to know about the Titanic, which is which yeah. Is cool. And uh, do you want to know why there's water all over the place? Oh, I yes, yes. Somebody left the water running. Oh my god. All right, good podcast, guys. <laughs> yeah, actually, see you when, next week. <laughs> when it sunk, it, it it blocked the big drain at the bottom of the ocean, you know, and that that's why we have sea level rise. Yeah, we can, oh, should, no. must, and will go down there to blow up the wreck of the Titanic. Aren't the metal eating bacteria doing that anyway? That's the best uh, course of action. It, it's good that we have Kyle on because he knows all the stuff about the Titanic. Because I only know one thing about the Titanic: a fun fact, if you will. Which is that when they discovered the wreck of the Titanic and they went inside, the swimming pool was still full. <laughs> I, I, I only know one thing about the Titanic, and that's that the theme song from the movie Titanic is. And I <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Yep, that is the theme song of the that's 1997 the film Titanic. Yes. Yes. So, See, we landed the joke that time. So, uh, but before we talk about Titanic, we have to talk about the goddamn news. No one's gonna fucking do it. Uh, so there was a there there was a concert, and a bunch of people got killed in a crushing accident. Was it mm -hmm. Astro Classic Hillsborough shit. No, what happened was they injected the crowd with needles from some sort of satanic sacrifice ritual. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Because we're really just gonna do full blown satanic panic again. We're gonna do domestic Havana syndrome. Yeah. Instead of like concert promoters not giving a shit about your safety, what we're gonna do is a guy is secretly injecting people with drugs. The fentanyl comes in through your skin because that's how fent works. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it literally does. I suppose pierce the dermal layer in, in, in a needle. But as somebody who used to regularly use fentanyl to get high, uh, 
Nobody is sharing their fent for free. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> and nobody's injecting you with stuff surreptitiously. No, like no one is doing that. You are noticing that shit if someone tries to inject you with anything. And also, turns out it they're hurts. Not yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, no one's gonna fucking, like, inject you with haloperidol and then secretly lie on top of you for an hour until it starts working. Oh man, haloperidol. Taking me back to my grippy sock days. <laughs> Aren't we? Yeah, don't, didn't we all have grippy sock days? Horror of horrors, they injected you with the Pfizer vaccine. <laughs> I actually, I got my booster shot, but my booster shot was Moderna, so now I'm just like a... I got the uh, the mix and match. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I keep going to concerts, and now I'm quintuple vaxxed. Yeah, I uh, I haven't had a cold since 2016. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, everyone's running around trying to blame this concert. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what Satanism or something. And really, yeah. it was the vaccines all along. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so there are there are gross videos of the Travis Scott still singing while people are being like carried out. Yeah, and it's and like his, people climbing on ambulances and shit. And hopefully, the only time I ever have to fucking mention Kylie Jenner on this podcast, <laughs> uh, her saying, "Oh, uh, we didn't know what was happening," as her Snapchat included like an ambulance in the bottom left shot. Is some real is some real good shit. Uh, yeah, they didn't have like any medical provision at the venue at all. Like none of the medics medical volunteers knew CPR. Yeah, no, I obviously this is a changing story, but uh, yeah, uh, this continues our theme of capitalists and the wealthy don't literally don't give a shit if you live or die as long as you paid full price for your ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm amazed we haven't seen more concert crush injuries before. But yeah, yeah. Planning a concert safely takes a shitload of work, and if you don't and do buddy, it, you can kill a load of people. It's expensive, as it turns out. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, honestly, this happened so little that when I first heard about it, I assumed there was some shooting at first. I was like, oh, what yeah. happened? <laughs> yeah, no, just uh, waist-height barriers and no crowd control. That's, you know, an overcrowding, just a recipe for disaster. Go and listen to the Hillsborough episode. It's yeah. uh, very easy to fuck up. Yep. Yep. In other yep. news. Nudes. There was a big tire fire here in Philly. It was really no, smelly. We're all dead, actually. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's a shame that we're all dead here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just assume that Philly like just always had tire fires. We get yeah, like, this like a photo why'd you put a photo of City Hall in here? <laughs> <laughs> Looks like those clowns in Congress did it again. What a <laughs> bunch of clowns. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, 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 I've been to Philly a couple of times, and I just remember stepping off the train and immediately got hit in the face by a bunch of burning tires. Good, <laughs> go birds. <laughs> Bad things happen in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So it's the motto of the Philadelphia of the Pennsylvania Secret Service. Well, they told us that uh, nothing bad was released into the atmosphere. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't believe that because I walked yeah. out, I walked out my uh, my kitchen door, and it was just haze. <laughs> yeah, I uh I could smell it here in uh in Poplar. Uh Corinne was having trouble breathing. We dropped uh Corinne's sister and her boyfriend off at the movie theater at 40th and Walnut, and it was literally hard to see and it just it stank, man. It was it was rough. We love a great smog. Fantastic. Yeah, I bet you do. Mm. <laughs> Wait, what? I bet you because you're from the land oh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. yeah, sure, okay. Yeah. And you love a big, nice dragon. 
That's also true. Yeah, yeah. I, I have known you to enjoy a big, uh, a nice dragon in your day. <laughs> I know, I used to smoke that much back in the day, but... Uh... I miss smoking. I bought a Marlboro backpack. Yeah. Oh, smoke, smoking is cool, don't ever do it. Yeah, never do it, but smoking does make you it cool. It does make you cool. And va- vapes don't, vapes just hit different, they're not the same. They're, they're the also same. bad for you, but like... They're not as good. They're also like not as good. We need to invent healthy cigarettes. Where the fuck is science on healthy cigarettes? Good idea. Need my uh, T zone soothed. Yeah. Uh, uh, scientists, get on it. Uh, maybe you can make a healthy tire fire and then um, sort of <laughs> distribute health benefits to the whole community. Ooh, it's very handy. Yes. Um. All right, that was the goddamn news. We put two things in there this time. Stop yes. yelling at us. That's right. Um. All right, Kyle, tell us about icebergs. Yeah, we're done. This is your um, show now. Yeah, we're just going to sit back for the next two hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> kick my feet up. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, they're bergs, right? And they're uh, made of ice. Interesting. Mm. Fascinating. They're Go also on. very hard. Uh, essentially, Mood. somewhere around 100,000 years ago, there's some snow that fell in Greenland. And, uh, you know, Later on, it became a glacier, and uh, you know, basically, you know, it, it, it calved onto into the ocean, and then it became, you know, the world's most famous iceberg. Soon thereafter, hmm. this is this is uh, this photo fascinates me because it is an identity photo of what they believe to be the actual iceberg, right? <laughs> this um, is the iceberg that yeah, killed Trotsky. Uh, don't ask why the CIA has it. <laughs> the, the iceberg, the iceberg that Titanic hit, they don't actually. We don't know for sure which one it was. Several are photographed in the vicinity of the sinking afterwards, and the rounding one, up the usual suspects. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Put, them, put them up next to the uh, ne- next to the, the police lineup thing. Yeah. <laughs> and the one, uh, the one at bottom left there, uh, that one is he seems to be like a likely culprit because it was described as looking like like the uh, rock of gibraltar mm. Mm. The, the, they, i think they mentioned something about it being like dirty like it had like maybe paint scraped off on it but like yeah. who knows? and of course we know that you know a, a lot of ice would have been shaved off the berg some of it went into portholes onto the deck uh so who knows hmm. yeah, so no. that's what an iceberg is that's what an iceberg um, is you can see here how it may have gone from Greenland to where it hit Titanic. Yeah, likely from the, I'm not going to pronounce that name, Glacier. Jakobshafen? Yes, uh, we'll no. go with that. D- 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 Danes are going to get mad at me here because I have, too many cons- I have too many consonants and every Danish word just sounds like Inga dinga dergen. Congratulations, you're fluent in Danish. Yes. <laughs> yeah, now if you like try and eat an apple at the same time, you're fluent in Norwegian. Do a lingo ain't got shit on me. <laughs> oh my god, it's the guy who stands in front of the chains. What? What? Isambard Kingdom Brunel. I'm on the oh, next it's Isambard Kingdom. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's it's yeah for huge fans of gigantic chains, uh, a, a queer anarchist flag, yes. and some more boats. The question is, uh, was Brunel, uh, you know, was he a small man or were the chains big? I think he was a little guy. I, I think he was, he was a, little a little tiny guy. guy. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna look up Brunel height because I want to see if he was a manlet. Oh. Brunel height. 
just it? over five feet tall. Pathetic! You know, it's, wow! It's surprising considering his father, Mark, uh, you know, played football. You really um, have got a lot of miles <laughs> out of that joke. <laughs> Apparently, this is the reason why he's wearing the top hat in this picture. Is he he oh, never took oh, off a top oh, hat, oh, even oh, when it oh. get, became slightly out of fashion because he needed like the like lifts in your shoes. He needed the extra height. <laughs> I, I, I just I always had the feeling he was just this little dude, and I, I now that it's confirmed, my life is complete. <laughs> A five-foot-tall man creating a railway filled with horse viscera and <laughs> pushing it pneumatically around uh, Devon. Fantastic. And, and of course, you know, uh, starting the race on the Atlantic for speed. Mm, paddle that's, steamships. That's the, uh, is that the Great Eastern or the Great Western that next is, to him? the Great Eastern, because it's the big one. Ah, oh, okay. Big Jungus. Basically, in uh, you know, basically once the industrial revolution in the early nineteenth century sped up, there was a need for like a stable shipping lanes, and uh, you know, especially with the British Empire, you know, you're taking over the whole world. You got to get things to and fro fast, oh, right? Yeah, of course. So at the same time, international waters were established, and you know that you know suddenly you could just start any kind of like a uh, you know line to. You know, to just carry passengers to and fro. Uh, so, you know, at the same time, you know, by 1807, the steam engines, uh, you know, were proved to be a viable way of propelling uh, commercial vessels across the ocean. Uh, so, you know, the Black Ball Line was the first in uh, <laughs> establishing one of these liner <laughs> services. Don't be gross. It's got, a cool, it's got a cool flag. It's got a cool little pennant there. I like yeah. that a lot. For a respectable uh, podcast for respectable pink, people. Which, yeah, I guess aids recognition. I mean, it would be very oh, funny it, if that were the line behind Titanic. I'll say that. A white star line. That what is that? Yeah. Uh, it is fun looking at some us, of these uh, so, some of these old shipping line pennants because they get more and more elaborate, but they're still crammed into that form factor of like the two-tailed pennant. So like some of them, like Hapag or whatever, they're just like cramming tiny text on there. <laughs> um, in 1837, the uh, SS Sirius uh, it, it had made one of the first successful um, steamship voyages between Liverpool and New York. Uh, apparently, it ran out of fuel. And the crew had to burn uh, furnishings to keep it going. <laughs> oh dear! Nice. Oops. Just stokers throwing chairs into a fire. Fantastic. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, that's hmm. weight savings, baby. Yeah, and uh, apparently <laughs> it was uh, even made possible by uh, the use of a technology, something called a condenser, so that they could just cycle fresh water through the boilers without having to clean the salt out of the boilers every now and then. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> of course. The record that ship set didn't last long because literally the next day it was beaten by our friend is in Bard Kingdom Brunel's SS Great Western. Yeah, manlet victory. Um, yes. And what we what we have here on the bottom right is the thing that makes this all into a competition: a blue ribbon that doesn't look like a blue ribbon. Not to say that's it that seems to be a trophy of some kind. It was more like uh, the blue riband. Uh, yeah, but and, that's only because uh, they spelled things wrong in the past on purpose as a joke. Yeah, that 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 that's true, and uh, it was basically with uh, the Great Western's you know, little record breaker that this fight for speed on the Atlantic began, and uh, I guess in a way size as well. So you know, by the mid nineteenth century, the liners began using iron for their steel hulls. Um, you know, and 
and you know, and then steel hulls themselves. Um, because you know, they're getting bigger, getting faster. You know, you didn't want them falling apart, right? Uh, wood just wasn't good enough. And so by 1858, the Great Eastern was built by Brunel, the largest ship in the world for 43 years. Um, yep, and uh, by the 1860s, Cunard and the White Star Line had gotten quite big and they were competing, you know, for the bigger and faster ships. And from 1880 on, ships just continued to grow in size and luxury. Now, wasn't the, wasn't the Great Eastern like built on the flawed premise that there was no coal in Australia and they had to make the round trip without refueling? I don't know, but that sounds true. Uh, <laughs> that is a hell of a thing to just randomly extract from your brain. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like I, I, there's no coal in Australia. It turns out there is a lot of coal in Australia, and it's in a place called Newcastle, ironically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sort of nominative undeterminism. Right. I didn't know the blue riband was actually a physical thing. Like, where is it now? That's what I want to know. That's a great question, actually. I I did not research that. All I can find is unofficial blue ribboned trophy. I'm gonna find out. If I had to guess, it wasn't. It was never really this like super official big thing per se. Uh, although, fun fact: the last ever holder of the blue ribbon is the SS United States, currently docked in Philly. Oh yeah. yeah. So it's probably still in Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly. It's such floating around somewhere. Maybe it's in the, like the it's it's in a closet on the ship. <laughs> Like melted down for scrap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've, I've got buried the under slide. the IKEA. So you know, here we got you know the ever increasing size of ships. Um, you know, the rivalry between the British and German lines at this point uh, was also picking up because the Germans, you know, these people were like, you know what, we're just gonna build bigger, and yeah, so you know the. <laughs> Yep. So the the Nord. I'm not going to say that the Lloyd and the Hamburger America Hamburger America line. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> oh, I Hamburger found America line. The, the blue um, ribbon trophy is in Copenhagen right now. Oh wow! Oh. It's in the main office of Scandlines Ferries. It doesn't belong there. No, silly. So we need a we need a national treasure style heist by the Pennsylvania Secret Service. That's because I believe. <laughs> Because one of their ferries was manufactured in Canada, and it was one of those high-speed ferries, and it came over very quickly. Um, now, the thing is, I, I thought the Blue Ribbon, you had to go both ways fast, and not just one way. No, but, it's um, one way. The, <laughs> oh. oh, here it is. Yeah, the current holder is Fjord Cat, which is a catamaran. Uh, oh, well. Well. So, so they get the trophy. So what we need to do is, is steal that trophy back. Yeah, I was about to say. Well, if we got the SS United States up to a good clip, we could probably do it. <laughs> Put a real big motor in there. Oh, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, the German lines are competing heavily with the British lines, as they would. And <clears throat> the Germans were building these bigger and better ships, you know, starting with like the, you know, the Kaiser Wilhelm de Grosse or something like that. Um and, you know, the Kaiser won the Blue Ribbon for Speed in 1897, followed by the, uh, you know, the, the Kaiser class of ships being built. Um, in fact, even even in 1912, uh, while Titanic was uh, setting sail, the Germans already had a ship called the SS Imperator at 906 feet and 52,000 tons, which is uh, bigger than Titanic uh, mm. on the it being built at the time. So Titanic wouldn't have lasted long as the biggest ship. 
sort of misremembered as this like unprecedented act of hubris, but rather this like long chain of continual improvement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Titanic wasn't even unique. I mean, it was literally a there's a helicopter flying overhead. Um, but it was literally a carbon copy of its sister ship, the Olympic. So, you know, even that wasn't that unique. It, it was just one in a chain of ships, everyone trying to outdo each other. And, you know, and that's how you got the Cunard. You know, they came in and they built the Lusitania and the Mauritania in response to the Kaiser class. You know, the Mauritania won the blue ribbon. And apparently it kept that for 20 years. Hmm. Um, so then, you know, the White Star Line had to build a new set of ships to keep up because, you know, you have to. Uh, so this is where the story of the Olympic class liners really starts. Um, in 1907, it was decided by White Star President J. Bruce Ismay and Harlan and Wolf Shipyard Director William Peary to build a new set of uh, three ships. I, I enjoy Ismay's moustaches. I'll say that much for him. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Ismay had quite a mustache. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, these ships would eventually, eventually be known as Olympic, Titanic, and Britannic. Olympic was laid down first on December 16th, 1908. Titanic followed on uh, March 31st, 1909. And, and built in Belfast, so Glasgow is off the hook. Clyde yep. shipbuilding remains untarnished. Mm -hmm. mm. And uh, Britannic came much later. It was laid down in uh, November 30th, 1911, but it never got completed because of World War One, And it got converted to a hospital ship, and then it got blowed up in the... Yeah, near the island of Kia in Greece, and that's a whole story on its own. It involves people getting chopped up in propellers, so that could be a whole episode on nice. its own. Fun. Yeah, we'll get you Jesus. back on. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, all three ships were built mainly from the same design. You know, it was like, yeah, take this, build it. You know, it's, it's mostly the same, but you know, they would improve over time uh, as they mm. learned from the different disasters and the voyages it's, and stuff. It's, it's meant to be fast, but also luxurious, right? So, like, it has a lot of amenities on it. It has, like, a squash court and a smoking room and shit. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah the thing about White Star, though, is they, they, they had this weird thing where they, you know, they wanted the ships to be fast, I think, but they didn't have too much of a concern about it. It was Cunard that was really into the speed. White Star was more about luxury, I think. Mm. Uh, it's the kind of thing you go on if you're a billionaire and you want to like get there in a reasonable time scale, but also you want to be able to smoke your cigars and like look at your gold pocket watch. Yeah, sure. Or you know, it's uh, <clears throat> of course back then the big thing at the time was the, you know, the uh, the immigrant uh, flow. So ships were built basically just for that, and it was a bonus that rich people would you know be able to travel and maybe some you know middle class people in second class mm. well we, we have to talk about classes both in the sense of a class system in society but also in terms of tickets right because you have a very rigid class distinction in 1912 britain still of oh, yeah. like uh, upper class emerging middle class and then working class oh uh, and that's steerage <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly and of course we'll be getting to that uh, but first we have to go over the design and designers, more or less. So, oh, wrong slide. Wrong slide. Okay, am I still here? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you know, the ship uh, Titanic would end up being eight hundred eighty-two and a half feet long, more or less. Well, nine inches actually. Uh, ninety-two feet wide and a half. Um. The design was relatively modern for the time, and you know, it was a very sleek, clean 
you know, sort of exterior lines. It didn't, it wasn't covered in vents and all that stuff. It had vents, but you know, um, <clears throat> it was primarily designed by, uh, Alexander Carlisle, William Peary, and Thomas Andrews of Harlan and Wolf. Although Andrews was more prominent later, whereas, um, Carlisle would retire some way through the building process. Yeah. Finishing um, off your career with your magnum opus and assuming nothing bad is ever mm-hmm. going to happen. And, you know, it's, uh, Carlisle was apparently very much for, uh, more lifeboats, but I'll get to that. Um, the, the ship, of course, had watertight compartments, uh, 16 uh, divided by 15 bulkheads, <clears throat> the highest ones ending at D deck, and many, most of them ending at like E deck. Um, you got a little which, diagram of that. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and it wasn't unique. Um, you know, ships at the time generally had watertight compartments, so did the Cunard liners and all that. It was standard technology by then. Um, yeah, of course, you know, they had to be divided by watertight doors. Um, although on Titanic slide, yeah, Yeah. that's good. Uh, and on Titanic though, not all the watertight doors were automatically controlled from the bridge. Um, if you press the switch on there, it would only close the lowest doors between the boiler rooms and engine rooms. So, so for everything else, everything else, it either has to close when it detects water or when a guy comes and cranks a big hand crank. Uh, you're actually not wrong. Uh, well, the ones lower down had uh, floats that could drop them automatically if it started flooding. But the ones up top, fully manual. They had to stick an uh, this weird tool into a hole and turn it, and it was a whole thing. <laughs> Great, um, perfect. <clears throat> and we and, have some some like permissible flooding conditions in the top right here, which I like. Yeah, uh, Titanic uh, was technically rated for any two compartments to be flooded, but. She could also stay afloat with all four of her forward ones, or her aft compartments, or flooding in four compartments from the reciprocating engine room to boiler room three, and, and probably some other scenarios too. So she was pretty uh, reliable, you know, in theory. Would if, you say yeah. unsinkable? Yeah, actually, <laughs> that's <laughs> at least that's what that's what they said back then. Um, so yeah. Um, and well, what would say famously unsinkable. Mm. <laughs> the the hall, of course, you know, built from. Oh, um, next slide. But I'm going to say it was not unsinkable on account of it sunk. Not yes. Nothing. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh wait, there's a conspiracy theory about that. I didn't oh, even yeah. put that in my I've notes. I've also oh, seen shit. the intentionally sank uh, for the insurance money conspiracy theory. No, the Titanic never sank. It's it's parked next to MH370 yeah, and, and all of the 911 planes. And JFK is on it. <laughs> oh. And he's going to become president again and campaign for Th- Trump. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but sh- that's not in the Constitution. It's zombie JFK. But <laughs> I guess, why am I lying? The Constitution doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah. Nothing matters. So we got a hole. Yeah. Yeah, we do have a hole or a hole. Um, Built from just Hull. a, yeah, just a bunch of ribs and uh, you know frames and the hull plating riveted on and all kinds of stuff. You see, it's just just a bunch of stuff, right? Mm. <clears throat> and of course, it was instead of welds is interesting. Yeah, I mean, welding was coming into it. You know, it, it wasn't there yet. Uh, riveting mm. was the preferred method of uh, putting ships together. Welding existed, of course, and they I think they used it on a few areas, uh, very, very limited, but it was mainly riveting. 
Mm. I, riveting is always funny to me because the way in which you did it in these shipyards was literally a guy throwing a red hot rivet at you so you could catch it and fucking rivet it into the thing with the gun. Oh yeah, it's one of the most like uh, sort of like unnecessarily dangerous things you can do. Yeah. Um, do we know yeah. if? <clears throat> Sorry, you you mentioned that um, welding wasn't used. Except was it used on Titanic? Or are you talking about it was just used? Sort of experimentally on other ships. Um, I think it was used on Titanic, but I'm not sure where. Okay. No, I gotcha. I just wasn't sure. Mm, um, but the main the main thing with everything are these whole plates, right? Yeah. The red bits on the outside, if you like. Yeah, the meaning of those is uh the plates had this alternating pattern of in and out, and they overlapped a bit and in, in rows and all that. And um uh it, basically it was divided between the hull. And the superstructure um, at the bottom right, the superstructure is the thing in blue. The hall is green. Um, superstructure was built on top. It wasn't part of the ship structure proper, which meant that like it, the superstructure didn't add any strength to the ship. Um, and that's where they had on the superstructure these uh, expansion joints, you know, so the ship could twist in the sea and the structure wouldn't fall apart. Um, people have uh, like like to claim that uh, the expansion joints led to the Titanic breaking apart, but that's impossible. Like they they just didn't do anything for the structure. Hmm. Mm. Much to consider, yeah. Yes, and <laughs> yes. and uh, the Titanic also had a double bottom as well as Olympic. Blah blah blah. It was also a common thing at the time. Um, the main concern was grounding, so they never thought, "Oh, what if we ran into something on the side." So they just didn't bother to extend it up the side. Ah, okay. Uh, turned out to be, turned out that actually that was the type of accident that was going to happen. Incredibly. First by its own hubris. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my, oh my god, I just realized, I put in my notes, they were not load-bearing expansion joints. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, of course, the ship had a dummy funnel. <clears throat> they, you all Famously, that's what people like to say, you know, the fun fact, Titanic had a dummy funnel. Um, it's true in that it wasn't used to vent the boiler rooms, but it was used to vent the waste gases from the galleys and uh, some other stuff, mm. like the first class smoke room fireplace. Mm. Um, <laughs> wasn't... Get, get J.J. Astor's <laughs> cigarette smoke mixed with your fucking, like, uh, yeah. lamb or whatever. Yeah, great. Perfect. Um, you know, the ship had 29 scotch boilers across six boiler rooms. Um, double-ended five single-ended ones um and you know the boiler room one was furthest aft that had the single-ended boilers it was next to the engine room six was furthest forward and had four boilers yeah. so you, um, you you need like an army of stokers to take physically take coal out of the bunkers and shovel right. it into these motherfuckers yep yep they had uh between the boiler rooms and above them were these huge coal bunkers with literally just thousands of tons of coal. And uh, it was the job of trimmers to take the coal out and bring it to the firemen so they could shove it into the boilers. Did they not have automatic stokers? No. Wow. Uh, you'd think that, you know, a big stationary boiler like that would be relatively easy to do, but what do I know? Um, <laughs> Why do that when you can have the Irish do it? Exactly. Yeah, cheaper to hire an Irishman or fifty Irishmen. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, the ship also had four dynamos. Uh, they the, these generated a ton of electricity. Um, there was an emergency set uh, on the higher decks. 
Um, you know, it was distributed through a whole bunch of electricity lines, through breakers and fuses and all that. You know what's about? Um, you know what's annoying? I was looking for automatic stokers. First twenty results of Google are, are all male sex toys. Uh, <laughs> it's just like masturbatory aid and i'm like no, no. stoker yeah <laughs> oh boy wow uh, so you know speaking of things that stroked titanic had two triple expansion reciprocating steam segue. engines beautiful <laughs> thank you um, these engines are capable of 30,000 horsepower. That's a lot of stroke. Uh, yes. mm. Several stories tall. They're just massive, massive pieces of machinery. Um, and, you know, they drove two outer wing propellers, uh, which are 23 feet in diameter, um, via two very long shafts, um, Mode. which is. also ran through thrust blocks. That's what they were called. Mode. I'm not being dirty. <laughs> Roz, the first mechanical stoker wasn't uh invented until 1905. Uh, hmm. but the Pennsylvania Railroad was the first to use it. Huh. Yes. So like they when they were on the bleeding edge of technology. So they were brand yeah. new. Yeah, that's probably mm. I guess the same thing with the uh welds. So what do you use all of this electricity for? Obviously lights, but like there's not a lot of sort of conveniences at this time that you would use electricity for, right? You'd be surprised. Titanic had no, well, first of all, yeah, a bunch of lights, but um, all kinds of motorized things, a bunch of fans for ventilation and in the kitchens um, you'd be shocked how much stuff they had in the kitchens, like in terms of gizmos to help the cooks and you know, they had egg boilers and uh, electric griddles and electric, you know, like um, huh. salamanders and all kinds of electric gizmos and steam ovens and all just a crazy amount of uh, stuff that they could use. It was super modern for the time. Bizarre <laughs> old timey microwave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just kills the guy who uses it every time. You just dump his body overboard. <laughs> yeah, get another Irish. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In, in addition to a big bunker full of Irish guys along with the coal bunker <laughs> pull out whenever you need one I mean the, the, it's it's true they this is my closet on Irish O'Reilly's yeah. <laughs> so Titanic also had a big uh, 16,000 horsepower steam turbine it was a this is big turbine of course you know, that drove steam through a, a bunch of fine blades and it turned to center propeller uh, which is about 17 feet in diameter um, that ran from steam that had already come through the uh, main engines. So if the main engines weren't going, the center propeller couldn't go. Um, and then that center propeller could only go forward. Um, and mm. <clears throat> fun fact, you know, it's thought that Titanic center propeller had only three blades. Um, and we in the Titanic community constantly debate about it. Oh, hmm. So no one, no one went down and checked. <laughs> really like bad faith debating too like really it gets personal it gets oh, ugly it mm -hmm. does everything in that that happens often in the titanic community <laughs> we're nuts. fucking dweebs <laughs> exactly <laughs> we're I, the worst we're I, awful i actually think it had five blades <laughs> no one can prove me wrong <laughs> 16 blades are it, we seriously actually... way to clean on apple podcasts <laughs> apparently yes we are oh mm. Um, you know, we'll and see of course, if that sticks around after the uh, the thrust blocks. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Way to go, um, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, the ship also had a macaroni system. No, Marconi <laughs> system. Macaroni uh, system. Oh, famous. 
Yeah, of yeah, course. You pick it... up the handset and a bunch of pasta gets squeezed out. It's no, oh, yeah. no, it's made out of so, it's made out of potatoes, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's all we know down that, there. That, that's how they powered it. Um, so, so it was around 1894, 1890. Or, why is it? Why does my note say 1995? Yeah. <laughs> so it was during the Clinton administration that yeah. they installed a Marconi system yeah. on the Titanic. Well, they went down there, wired it in. Well, they couldn't install it. They had to install it before the movie came out, of course. Yeah, that's oh, true. That's why it was 95. So, of course, you know, Italian event, inventor, electrical engineer, and future fascist Guglielmo Marconi, uh, you know, of course, uh, invented the first practical radio transmitters and receivers. And so by Titanic's time, the Marconi company was a huge thing, and it had a wire, uh, Marconi wireless setup on board. Um, you know, they wholly owned that, too, didn't they? Like, it was a Marconi TM office operated by Marconi employees. Yes. And Marconi mm. owns all the equipment and like leases it to you. It's a good business model if you can uh, if you can corner the market that quickly. Yeah, and uh, you know the the wireless operators on Titanic were not like actual crew; they were Marconi company employees, which has led to some uh, some intriguing allegations of like uh, sort of like different loyalties. There, it's interesting. <laughs> um, of course, mm. you know uh, Titanic's Marconi system. Um. You know, it had a huge uh, antenna wired between the two masts uh, that were on either end of, uh, either end of the ship, and you know there were keys and controls and stuff in a in an office in the in uh, by the bridge, and uh, there was also a silent room which housed the dangerous equipment. You know, the stuff that you don't want to touch when it's going. Oh, cool! Oh boy, I love a silent yeah. room. And with, like yeah. as well as just doing shipping traffic, they also did passenger traffic, right? They did like uh, send and receive telegrams for passengers. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they actually had between between the Marconi office and the first class Encore office, there were these pneumatic tubes like you have at the bank, so they could s just go, whoop, just send like Marconi grams and stuff through there. That's like wild that you wouldn't have any kind of separation. Like your your sort of your ship critical traffic is also just mixed in with uh, again John Jacob Astor writing home for more cigarettes. Yeah, I... <laughs> speedboat comes up alongside. <laughs> <laughs> so speedboat, a literal cigarette boat, if you will. <laughs> and, and, and people at the time, you know, they. Uh... Yeah, people saw it as a bit of a novelty at the time too. So it was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna send a message home to my family and all this," or "I'm gonna uh, send ahead for a train to be, uh, you mm. know, uh, slated for my arrival." You know, so the same of novelty of phones on airplanes. Yeah, but except you get a little like a marconigram that you can keep at the other end. Yeah. Oh, I just rip the phone off the thing usually. <laughs> That's a souvenir, yeah. <laughs> it's coming with I me, baby. <laughs> I've been wanting to say this for a long time. Next slide, please. Oh boy. Nice. So, uh yeah, Titanic, you know, had about Glory eight... Hole. Oh, I I just knew you were gonna spot that instantly. So <laughs> fun story, the glory holes were basically the crew dormitories. Uh and they called them that because is an ironic thing, you know, because they were no, generally no, very bad places on ships, like just not you good conditions them that because at all. You could put your penis through a hole in the bulkheads. Yes. Yes. That's not water time. <laughs> <laughs> it is now. You see that—that's the fucking real expansion joint that killed the Titanic. Some <laughs> dude just sticking his dogger in a yeah. That's what would have plugged the holes if all the Irish had just stuck their dicks in the holes. That's true. Yeah, that's the absolutely ship would not true. Have sunk. Mm -hmm. 
So <laughs> it, Titanic had uh, eight letter decks um, and three lower decks, you know, for the engines and stuff. Um, you know, you had the boat deck, uh, you had different facilities on it, mainly first class passengers and crew. And that's, of course, where the lifeboats are stored. And that was at the top of the ship. Um, hmm. Then you had A through F decks. Um, you know, of course, you see a ship's plan at the at left. Um, and the, those decks were passenger and crew accommodations. Uh, first class was mostly up top. Third class is mostly uh, lower down for and aft. Second was more aft. Um, and, hmm. you know, you had the G and Orlop decks, mostly third class of crew spaces. And, you know, you had the perishable provisions, you know, the, the refrigerated rooms and uh, wow. aft. And then you had the uh, post office and mail room and blah, blah, blah. The refrigerated rooms are pretty cool. They were run by two uh, refrigerated engines, uh, refrigerating engines. And uh, they connected to these rooms via just a just a load of uh, brine pipes running all over the place. And the it kept the rooms nice pipe? and cool. Um, it's pipe full of brine. Yeah. 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 The brine like, carries the heat away. Enjoying the disparity between these sort of amenities here. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, of course, the ma- on the map uh, that I have there, it's color coded. The you know, green is first class. Uh, yellow is second. Red is third. Um, purple is like the engineering areas. Um, and blue is the rest of the crew areas. So like, they keep like third class completely walled off from everyone else, right? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I'll be getting to that later. Check out this decor, though. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's like pounds and like tons of like excess fucking decoration on here. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, of course, you know it looks heavier than it was. Um, it's a common misconception that the ship uh, was like this, this, this is so luxurious that it was just full mm. of marble and stuff. Cursed by um, its own hubris. Yeah. Yes. This like floating sort of grand piano oh, thing. Front yeah. to God. Yeah. Do you want to know <laughs> what the fanciest? Do you want to know what the fanciest flooring on board was? Yes, please. Yes, please. L- linoleum. Ooh. Oh, well. Brand new, state of the art. Yeah, yeah. probably had asbestos in it, too. W- wipes clean? Probably. I mean, what else do you want? Yeah. Um, Very handy yeah. stuff. I mean, you know, that linoleum was tiled everywhere, including the famous Grand Staircase and a whole bunch of other places. They just used it as much as they could. Hmm. Um, and of course, the exterior decks, uh, which are somewhat relevant to the <laughs> events of the sinking. You know, you had the well decks; they were fore and aft. They were the lowest exterior decks. Um, you, you had the forecastle that was the furthest deck forward. Uh, the pointy bit. You had the poop deck, which has nothing to do with poop. Just that was does. aft. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, fo- the folks saw the bit where uh, Whitney Houston and yeah. uh, Kevin Costner do the like arms out thing in the yep. movie Titanic. Although yes. in reality, they wouldn't have been allowed in that spot. There was a breakwater on the forecastle with a sign that said passengers weren't allowed forward of that. They just climb over it, it's fine. Yeah. What are they going to do? It's going to shoot off the boat? Yeah, um, Kevin Costner's literally a criminal in that movie. It's it's fine. <laughs> yeah, who cares? Um, and on the, on the poop deck, of course, there was a docking bridge uh, that had an extra helm and some telegraphs, you know, in case, you know, to use while they were docking. Then you had B and A deck. They were the <clears throat> exterior, like the, the the passenger promenades mostly. A deck was a whole wraparound promenade, um, which also meant to double as like a place to load the lifeboats from. But uh, that didn't quite work out on Titanic, and uh, we'll get to that. Mm, promenades um, are cool. Back when there was so little going on, that like going for a walk was like an activity in itself, like a hobby. 
these people just loved going to the promenade. And uh, on there, they also had hundreds of deck chairs and all of them are numbered and you could just rent one out and it was nice apparently yeah and you could hmm. rearrange them yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> although technically you couldn't because the, you, Kyle. every chair had an assigned spot there were number boards up on the ceiling showing where they should go and i'm sure <laughs> there was no 13th chair in fact they avoided the number 13 on board in a lot of places except for lifeboat 13 and that itself is also a story i i'm just mm. a i know that this is white star and not hamburg line but i'm just imagining some hamburg german guy line, up Ross. front there's some german guy up front yelling at people who are trying to rearrange the chairs nine <laughs> nine <laughs> nine moving dust chair <laughs> You try and rearrange the chairs on the Titanic and you find there's already a German flag towel on one of them and you're just like, God, he paid to rent chair nine. It's his chair, Roz. That that did happen. I'm I'm sure that did happen in the Nazi Titanic. So, you know, you know. Oh, yeah, Um, absolutely. We'll get to the Nazi Titanic. Oh, I yeah, insisted on putting in the Nazi Titanic. Oh, yeah, I got that in here. Um, The Zeppelin wasn't good enough? (laughs) And of course, the boat deck again, lifeboats. Cool. Oh. The bridge is at the forward end of it. Uh. So um, the classes, you know, you know, first, second, third plus crew. Um, you know, the fir- first class. There's definitely the purview of like the upper crust and the millionaires and those who could afford a ticket. Um, but it, it wasn't necessarily. It wasn't just millionaires and billionaires. I mean. Yeah, there were a lot of cheaper rooms that you could get. Um, and basically, you know, in the movie, how Molly Brown and all every cabin you see in the movie is super fancy, right? Um, in right. reality, most of the cabins in first class uh, were very simple. Um, the, fo- the, the, the four photos in kind of the middle top, you see some different cabins. The two on the right uh, is what most of the cabins looked like. Plain paneling. Uh, standard furnishings, exposed ceiling beams, and all kinds of stuff like that. They spent um, all that money on the piano. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was uh, very standard stuff, and I'm sure those were a lot cheaper. And, uh, you know, if you had the money, you could, you know, you wouldn't have to be rich. You could probably travel in, uh, first, you know, as a treat. Um, second class, you know, it, you know, it was effectively the middle class. Um, you know, it, it was uh, apparently very common for people who could afford to travel first to go in second because you know one they wanted to save money and two they preferred the laid back atmosphere of second class you know it was a little less stuffy you know mm, you don't have to like dress as much for dinner sort of thing I have right. to run into a millionaire and have to talk to him oh god <laughs> oh yeah and, and uh you know i think even today it's still a standard a common thing on ships uh cruise ships but you know, at, at dinner, you had to go to assigned tables and, you know, they oh, yeah. pair you so, with people. And, sort of know. first class is sort of white tie, second class is black tie, third third class, as we know from the Kevin Costner movie, is like a bunch of filthy Irish people <laughs> dancing reels with each other. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's where we belong, <laughs> Alice. <laughs> and, and, and third class, of course, yeah, it was primarily for the immigrants and the poor people. And like, again, the immigrant trade back then was just a massive, massive moneymaker for them. Um, so they just stuffed them in where they could. And uh, there were strict measures in place to prevent contact between them and the upper classes, uh, but primarily due to concerns about diseases, because you don't want everyone sure. catching COVID. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, you don't um, you don't want Mr. Aster to get like uh, fucking Serbian fever. News newsflash: You can't catch alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> that sudden craving for potatoes. I've caught the Irish. <laughs> uh, remember always to wear a mask when you're in an enclosed space with Irish people. <laughs> Except that the mask is a ski mask, and uh, do you guys want to go uh, cause some problems? Uh, <laughs> and and you know the thing about uh, Kyle Titanic is that, trying to remain on topic. <laughs> and, and you know it's it's a comment. The thing about Titanic, you know, uh, they were, they had this weird. I've often I've often heard people say, "Ah, oh, did you know that black people were banned from Titanic?" Um, uh, that that wasn't true. Uh, you know, I mean, prejudice, prejudices of the time notwithstanding, um, you know, they were allowed on the ship. Um, there was a black man named uh, Joseph Larocha, uh, who was a second class passenger. He was a Haitian traveling back to Haiti with his uh, white French wife and their two children. Um, there was also a Japanese man in second class and uh, several uh, Chinese men aboard, uh, six of whom survived sinking, and they were in third class. They, um, they just uh, based on the nature of the itinerary, that most of the people who'd be getting on in Europe would be, you know, Europeans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, but of course, you know, there were still, you know, racism was a thing still. Uh, I, as I understand it, La, the LaRosha, the black passenger, he generally stayed in his cabin uh for most of the for the most part um sucks yeah he ended sadly he ended up dying in the sinking his wife and children survived though but you know it was because he was a man and these people just they stood back on the decks while their wives and children and all that went off lifeboats mm. it's just the saddest thing um also apparently larosha was uh, related to the one of the presidents of haiti so that was a thing um <laughs> So yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, despite you know, the crew did have this weird obsession with Italians. They hated Italians. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Sure. And you're go actually up. gonna, you know, if we even get there with all the, <laughs> with how much we have to go through, that that did come up later in the sinking. When? Um, when did that come up? <laughs> just like the like second the, the second like, officer Giuseppe, catches a guy. Yeah. No, 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 stay on the boat. <laughs> the second officer tries like catches a guy making hand gestures and shoots him to discourage the others. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Uh, like for example, um Titanic had this restaurant aboard. It was called the uh Elecart restaurant. Uh, very fancy. It was not a standard dining saloon. It was separate from your ticket price. You had to pay per meal. Uh, Walking it, uh, into the a la carte restaurant, ordering spaghetti carbonara and getting thrown <laughs> overboard. Totally <laughs> murdered, right. Uh, it, it was uh, managed separately from like the White Star Line. Essentially, it was an independent business on Titanic. It had its own staff, its own manager. His name was Gotti. Um, the restaurant had 69 employees. Nice. 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 Uh, three of everyone. them, three of them survived. Damn, that's less nice. Um, and apparently, a lot of them were Italians, and that also probably contributed a bit to the fact that so few survived. Um, so yeah, the, the ship had uh, uh, various amenities. Um, you know, you had your squash courts, your one squash court. You had a Turkish bath. Don't ask what a Turkish bath is. I don't even know. It's, I it's, think the, pl it's the place where, like, if you're a millionaire, you go to get jerked off. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, you know what? We'll go with that. So <laughs> they also had they also had this thing called an electric bath. It was like a um it looked like a tanning bed and there were bright lights attached to it, but I don't know what the hell it did. Suicide booth. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> um, you know, it had a uh, a swimming pool uh, or a plunge bath if you will. Uh it, apparently uh it may have been heated. Um I think there were like steam pipes or something for that mm. and they of had course, like modern modern cruise liners <laughs> knock this out of the water both in terms of amenities and also size right like we we went over stuff that's on modern cruise ships and i think the estonia episode oh yeah and we both decided where we get Costa Concordia. Mad. yeah yeah, yeah where it was just a man's hubris yeah. against god yes <laughs> yeah, the Titanic did that's, not have a climbing wall, I assume. No, no, it no climbing wall. Well, I mean, it did by the end. It did. It, 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 it did have a ladder. Climbing wall. <laughs> a, uh, a, a uh, roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> One way roller coaster. Ooh, is it just me or is this plunge pool getting bigger? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the decor on the ship, you know, was standard at the time. Like I said, it wasn't really that fancy. They just lo- used a shitload of l- uh, linoleum um, and a lot of s- a standard, like most of the corridors on the ship l- all and most of the rooms were just this same kind of plain white paneling. It was uh, just ridiculous. White Star Line was actually uh, they were pretty cheap when it came to like uh, saving money on like interior decor. If they didn't have to mm. like go out of their way to decorate this or that space outside of a, a public room, they wouldn't bother with it. Um, Weight savings. Titanic Super Legera. Without standardization uh, of signage, you have to imagine a maze of identical whitewashed corridors. Pretty easy to get lost in. Yeah, that's going to come up later with third class, um, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, so, uh, next slide, please. We're going to talk about Davits. Yes. Um, so the lifeboat capacity on the final ship was 20 lifeboats with a capacity of 1,178. Um, they had different kinds of boats. There were 16 30 footers. They could hold the 65 each. Uh, two of the boats are 25 foot emergency cutters. They had a capacity of 40. The cutters were kept overboard, hung overboard at all times in case, the, you know, a guy fell overboard or something like that. Um, four of the boats were these 25 and a half foot collapsible, uh, Inglehart collapsibles. Uh, it was this weird boat, which was like a pontoon and a low structure. And then you could raise canvas sides. Ugh. It was uh, very weird. I don't even know why they had it, but <laughs> those could hold a total of 188 together. Um, and this is where we get into, uh, you know, one of the biggest things about Titanic, you know, the lifeboat regulations. Um, so this is good. This is going to be a big one. So. The Merchant uh, Shipping Act of uh, 1894 called for ships over 10,000 tons to have 16 lifeboats uh, at minimum. Um, naturally, of course, ships kept growing. And, uh, you know, White Star Line's Oceanic of 1899 was 17,000 tons. Lusitania and Mauritania in 1907 were triple that minimum tonnage. And um, Olympic and Titanic, by the time they came along, were four and a half times the 10,000 tons. So no, the regulation didn't keep pace at all, so it was no. still 20. Did, did the 16 lifeboats, was it specified how many passengers the lifeboats had to be able to carry? I don't think so. I think it was just based on tonnage. Oh, okay, that's helpful. Um, some at the Board of Trade did feel that the regulations needed to be updated. 
by 1909, Alexander Carlyle, the Titanic's chief designer, then had already expected that the regulations might be updated. They were thinking at the time, you know, that this these ships are so big, they're going to update these regulations any day now. So Carlyle took it upon himself to design a new type of davit and lifeboat arrangement. Um, he submitted the designs to White Star, who approved it, and then they were sent to the Wallen Quadrant Davit, davit Company. They I think they were Swedish or something. Um, Carlisle's idea was to have davits that, that could each hold four lifeboats, uh, with the possibility of holding 64 total lifeboats on the ship. And, um, mm-hmm. and Carlisle, you know, I, he was definitely for the having more boats. And, uh, but the plan, uh, you know, yeah, the plan was to follow through with re- re- the regulations, whatever they called for. So, you know, if they called for, 32 boats they'd put 32 if it called for basically the minimum whatever they could do um so by october 1909 there was a meeting between carlisle and uh harlan and wolf chairman william peary j bruce ismay and his white right hand man harold uh, sanderson um carlisle had suggested that due to the uncertainty over the future of the law they might be prepared to carry a large number of lifeboats you know by using these new davits ismay agreed uh, but they never discussed uh, whether they would actually have more lifeboats, just that they would have davits that would uh, hold more lifeboats. Yeah, it's, it's future proof in case they change the regulations, but nobody did. Right. Yeah. Was there um, was there like a theory of evacuating the ship at all? Was like, you know, the idea being that, look, the shipping lanes are so crowded, another boat's going to come along and we can, you know, uh, that's that's light. exactly the that's exactly the thought they had at the time. Basically, the ship itself was seen as a lifeboat, and the lifeboats are seen as ferries to get people to another ship. Mm. And you don't have any kind of like evacuation drill either, right? Like you don't make mm. passengers practice to get to the lifeboats or have them know where the lifeboats are necessarily. Uh, on Titanic at the time, I I'm not sure. I don't think so. Um, the crew had to do drills to you know. To, to, to you know the muster drills like the crew were assigned in different parts of the in different areas different departments there were lists showing what crew were assigned to what lifeboats but i don't know who i quite what it was with the passengers although i think there were some rudimentary uh evacuation procedures that would have been on papers in their rooms mm, they had life vests too right like yeah some. they had oh they had uh they had uh they had life belts for everyone aboard i forgot huh. how many though um they were you know every cabin had life belts they were all over the place um the lifeboats were um cork at this point i believe yeah and they were also <laughs> dangerous apparently some people when they jumped into the water you know the life belt shot up when they hit the water and it like broke their necks basically Ugh. look at that that's gone poorly just kill um, me off the boat man yeah yeah they, they were just not good. Um, really, all this show is an elaborate exercise in how would you like to die the least. <laughs> <laughs> the actual number of uh, boats, yeah, of course, you know, was left to the Board of Trade. Um, despite the regulations, Carlisle still felt that the ships should have 32 boats, even if they uh, didn't update the regulations. So three per davit set. Uh, he even made plans showing how this layout would look. Um, after Wallen submitted the Davit plans to the Board of Trade for approval, it was noted that Olympic and Titanic were apparently going to be fitted with 32 lifeboats. But the BOT had still not decided on updating the regulations. And uh, although Harlan and Wolf had leeway in design decisions, they felt that the number of boats was up to the White Star Line. So they just didn't do anything about it. Um, mm. 
Also, so, launching the boats, like they, because of these new davits, they never really trained the crew on them, as I understand it. They trained some of the crew. There was a drill uh, on the day they left Southampton uh, for the Board of Trade to show that the lifeboats worked and everything. But it, I think it is safe to say that like by the time Titanic sank, the crew didn't really, they weren't overly familiar with how the lifeboat uh, systems worked. And that led to issues. Um, mm. So, you know, what you have to ask yourself, why did the White Star Line drag their feet on the matter? Um, Carlisle suggested that the White Star had, basically they were considering their other fleets and their other steamers, as he put it. Uh, in other words, if White Star Line made changes to Olympic and Titanic, they'd have to go back and change their other ships and add more lifeboats to those. And, you know, it's just expensive and they didn't, they probably didn't want to do it because of course, you know, you know, they were very conservative with their money. Yeah. Spoils um, your nice view from the boat deck, uh, that, ruins the, the beautiful like lines of the ship. That actually, uh, I don't think that's true. It's a common myth that uh, they basically just, um, didn't have lifeboats because of you know they wanted more space on the deck. But as far mm. as I know, it was mainly complacency and like uh, this this weird obsession with just waiting on the board of trade to tell them what to do. Mm. Um, big government overreach right there. I am yeah. shocked and appalled. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Carlisle, you know, he was still involved in the lifeboat debate even after he retired. He joined the committee to advise the board of trade on lifeboat regulations. There was a meeting with the committee that was held in May 1911. The lifeboat plans were discussed, and Carlisle said outright at the meeting that he didn't think there were enough lifeboats aboard Olympic and Titanic. The, but despite that, the committee decided not to recommend changing lifeboat regulations and submitted their final report in July 1911. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Wow. Carlisle <laughs> signed off on the report. Later, he would say he regretted it, saying he did not know why he signed off on it when he didn't agree with it. Other than that, he said he was soft that day when he normally wouldn't be. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Remember when the boat designers were hard? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have priapism by the time this boat launches, you're fired. <laughs> so, so of course, so of course, you know, the BOT following the recommendations just stayed with the current regulations. Twenty um, boats. Yep, 20 boats. And so, you know, yeah, there's also, so, you know, more deck space and a cover up. So, you know, again, the popular claim, deck space. I don't think that's true. Um, you know, the lifeboats were thought of as ferries, not life saving devices in themselves. Um, but apparently there was one person who was extremely concerned about the lack of boats uh, Captain Maurice Clark. He was in charge of basically overseeing Titanic's safety. And, you know, signing off on it before she left port. Um, apparently, in documents that were uh, unsealed after, you know, around a century, uh, it's found that Clark wrote his concerns uh, basically in private documents. He said that he wanted 50% more lifeboats on the ship. Uh, but was ignored by White Star. This is he, this is another myth, right? Is that like everybody thought, oh, this was unsinkable, rather than people at the time in the field no, were like, this is dangerous. Yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, Carl, you know, Titanic's very chief designer wanted more boats, and you know, there were other people who thought, you know, it, maybe it's a good idea if we had more boats, you know, just in case. Um, and of course, you know, some people wouldn't wouldn't have wanted to push back, and Clark was one of them. He wrote that. <laughs> To deviate 
uh, would leave me without support. I might be shifted as suggested to me by others if I enforced my views as to efficiency. Hmm. Um, right, we got to talk about construction. Yeah. Oh, we're getting to that. Um, so, yeah, the unsinkable ship. Um, yeah. Seen uh, here, covered in curtains. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's the ships were said to be practically unsinkable, quote unquote. Um, the White Star Line put out a pamphlet in 1910 describing the new class of ships as unsinkable. There was another publication in 1911 that said, as far as it is possible to do, these two wonderful vessels are designed to be unsinkable. Um, when uh, Sylvia Caldwell, the Caldwell family on Titanic, had asked Alice. the deckhand. Yeah. <laughs> Your descendants, Alice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, apparently, uh, yeah, they asked a nearby deckhand, supposedly, if the ship was really unsinkable. And he answered, yes, lady. God himself could not sink the ship. Um, hubris. Oh, that's some hubris. hubris. That's, right. hubris. That's, your, that's your hubris. It's that guy's fault. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think it's I think it's telling that you have to reassure people because these days, right? If you put in an ad for a cruise ship, practically unsinkable, it would like uh, it would make people more nervous that you ha- felt that you had to say it. You would think that. Well, I mean, yes, obviously, in in light of popular culture. But the funny thing is, back in those days, it was a little different. So. For one thing, the media and the people ran with the unsinkable idea, you know, practically unsinkable under certain circumstances became God himself couldn't sink the ship. Um, Mm. And so because, yeah, it was not that it was supposed to be absolutely unsinkable, just that it was unsinkable for the most part sometimes yeah. depending on what happened you um, have this this sort of implicit suggestion that the the other ship you might take is in fact sinkable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, most assumed scenarios with limited damage, yeah, run head on into something, you have a small hole. Nobody thought, what would happen if you just ground an iceberg across the side, you know? Hmm. Yeah, um, very, very difficult to sink, though. I think we can say yeah. that. Yeah. You'd yeah, have yeah. to really screw in, up to sink in, the in, ship. In normal disaster conditions, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, this is a kill of death, baby. The, the funny the, the funny thing is, even after Titanic sank, uh, Olympic un- underwent some um, upgrades to make it safer. Like they raised the double bottom up along the sides, you know, uh, wonderful. And they did some other stuff. They raised the height of the bulkheads and all that. Um, and the press after the sinking of Titanic stated uh, that her builders had finally realized the quest of an unsinkable ship, even after Titanic sank. <laughs> All right, this one's HMS unsinkable. HMS, HMS hubris. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, operation cannot possibly fail a second time. <laughs> I mean, I mean, to be fair, you know, oh, this is my next part in the notes. So, you know, Olympic was, you know, the first to be built and launched. Um, she was completed by May thirty first, nineteen eleven. Began her maiden voyage on June fourteenth, nineteen eleven, which. Uh, Fun fact is also apparently Trump's birthday, so that's I don't know what to make of that. Um, Olympic was a success, uh, of course, uh, and her first few voyages went well. Uh, but on her maiden voyage in New York, she had a small incident. Um, a couple of basically on the you know there was one bit where like a tug got caught in her propeller wash and almost got like smashed under the stern, and then at the same time she like scraped along the side of the dock very slightly and rubbed off some paint um, as she was being 
You're good. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> Back it in. Back it in. Stop. And, and it's funny because you can see a photo. There's a photo of Olympic doing this, and you can just see like it's still touching the pier, and there's just people standing at the standing at the corner of the pier. Like, I think that'll buff out. <laughs> uh, nice, and, nice and easy now. Nice and easy. Old, old timey NTSB guys. Got to fold right. in the mirrors. <laughs> All right, cut it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know smith was captaining the ship at the time of course um you know because uh yeah so wouldn't um that, wouldn't that have been the pilot's fault though yeah yeah <laughs> he wasn't smith was on the bridge but there would have been a pilot on board so that was a whole thing um but you know olympic went on to have a successful career it served in world war one as a troop ship it, I will it be rammed right back. all right it rammed and sank a German U-boat. Um, Goddamn! Late in her late Olympics career, I forgot when exactly. I don't remember dates. Um, it it was sailing in fog um, off of the east coast, and it ran down the Nantucket lightship. It split the ship in half, uh, and Oops. most of the crew on board died. Imagine seeing that prow bearing down on you. Oh, you, uh, you're supposed to go just coming at you out of the fog. The, yeah, the light is not the place you go. You go around <laughs> the light, and you don't go straight towards it. I well, the thing the thing is, at that point, the helmsman was a moth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, construction. You know, Titanic, of course, it was built at uh, Holland and Wolf Shipyards in Belfast, uh, I guess Ireland at the time. Uh, the keel was laid March thirty first, nineteen oh nine. Uh, the hall was built on a slipway under this huge ass gantry that they had been built specifically for the Olympic class liners. Um, it provided a solid platform for cranes and other tools and stuff to build the ships. Uh, it had two slipways, you know, uh, Titanic and Olympic were being built alongside at one point um, for a lot of that time. Uh, some 15,000 workers helped to uh, build Titanic, of course, um, and it was dangerous and difficult work. Safety was basically an afterthought. Um, most of it was done. The work was done without like the protective gear. They didn't have hard hats. Uh, I even saw a picture of like a guy, uh, you know, doing ship breaking at the time, you know, doing the thing with the welding, like cutting stuff. And he wasn't wearing anything. Um, <laughs> ah, yeah, just close your eyes. in the nude. Yes, I'm out here with sparks the, everywhere. With <laughs> acetylene torch in, in in my in nature, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As God, yeah, um, fuck corneas. <laughs> As God intended. <laughs> Don't need them. And uh, during Titanic's construction, there were 246 injuries, 28 of them severe, with like crushed uh, arms and uh, fingers, uh, and uh, apparently severed arms. Oh my god! Uh, Wait, I wrote, in, I wrote in my notes: shake hands with danger. Yes. You can't. You lost your arm. Shake hands with danger. Uh, and all six workers died on the ship itself during its construction, and another two in the yard during the construction. Um, yeah. hmm. So, once the hull was complete up to the superstructure, the ship, still largely unfinished, uh, was launched uh, backwards from the slipway in, on May 31st, 1911. During the launch, a shipyard worker was struck by a piece of wood as it was being, you know, as it was, as all this was happening. And uh, he was rushed to a hospital and later died of his injuries. So he became the, fated. Cursed yeah. ship. Yep. He, uh, fun fact: they uh, didn't. Uh, they didn't. Uh, 
christen Titanic. White Star Line didn't, uh, Harlan and Wolf didn't do that with their ships. Uh, they were said to just build them and push them out. Cursed ship. Yep. On to the next uh, one. <laughs> hubris against the sea gods. Oh, I was like, well, you know, you, you don't have time for christening because you got to get everyone over to start building the next ship, which is slightly bigger. Yeah. <laughs> that is didn't true. christen it because the Titanic was a Muslim. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, once Titanic was launched, um, you know, it, it alternated between a wharf and a dry dock. Uh, she was being fitted out. The boilers and engines are installed, and blah blah blah. The fittings and interiors are put in place. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, as Olympic was completed first and had already been sailing by the time Titanic was launched, uh, they observed a bunch of stuff that they wanted to improve. So they took those things and they applied them to Titanic. This including getting rid of Titanic's beat at promenades, filling them with more cabins, um, expanding the a la carte restaurant, which had proved to be extremely successful on Olympic, uh, adding a whole new cafe, um, the Cafe Parisienne. Um, the layouts of other spaces were changed, a whole different layout for a Turkish bath and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and because of the changes to B-Deck, they had to rip off a bunch of plating along B-Deck um, and put new plating on with a new layout of windows. And uh, and also as, as well, they had to add portholes here and there, and there were other changes. And apparently these were also the basis of like some really dumb conspiracy theories. Hmm. Uh about the ships being switched because people yeah, would be like I shot JFK right. from one of them. Yeah. Yeah, because people would be like, well, in this photo, this ship has, you know, 16 portholes and this photo has 14. Why is that? It must be if that they were switched, you know. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, typical wonderful conspiracy theorist thinking. So, um yeah, uh there's another big claim about Titanic, which is that it had weak steel or rivets. Um, you know, basically the idea is Harland and Wolf or the White Star cheaped out with the steel, which, you know, considering how conservative they were with other things, that's probably easy to believe. Um, but yeah, basically they used substandard materials and steel that was high in carbon content, uh, leading to brittle metal. Um, and, you know, but the fact is that I, I think it's technically true that the steel on Titanic wasn't the best. Like, you know, there was more like um, carbon and whatnot. But the caveat is that all of the steel back then was like that. Yep. <clears throat> but um, yeah, compared to modern steel, sure. Um, and, you know, it, it's true that some of the iron rivets that were tested, they brought up from the wreck and tested. You know, they didn't hold up very well, but... Um, Let's see, that, you hold up so well after 90 years on a seabed, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, they were, the Titanic had regular steel rivets that, you know, they met the quality of standards and shipbuilding practices at the time. Uh, the hull plates were the same. They were tested back then uh, before installation by the Board of Trade. You know, I, I know you can't trust the Board of Trade at this point, but, you know, uh, it met the standards of the time. Um, and even modern analysis is showing that Titanic's plates were plenty strong. Um, this misunderstanding in large part is due to the, you know, the, yeah, it's the media basically like like they, they hear Titanic had uh you know uh, steel that wasn't as good as modern. What you said it didn't have good steel. <laughs> mm. I I don't know how much the carbon content would have contributed to the sinking though. It's it's it hit an iceberg. That's kind of heavy. 
Yeah, yeah um, it's like a perfectly adequate ship for its time. You know, that's right. sort of the impression I've gotten is that it was mm. fine. Yeah, <laughs> that and that that is true. I mean, it basically it's it was fine. Uh, it was by all standards and accounts a fine ship. And you know, like I said, Olympic sailed for you know however many you know until the late thirties and ran into a bunch of shit and she was fine. <laughs> it's fine so long as you hit it directly on, like directly on the prow. So essentially, yeah. go to ramming speed and don't turn, and the Titanic's fine. On his reign of terror, smashing every boat in its way <laughs> straight through New York Harbor. It's, see, the, the Olympic, the Olympic is like a bear. You know, you have to put it down because it gets a taste for other ships. You know, yeah, it's tasted uh, blood now. Speaking of running into things. The Hawk Collision. So, on September 20th, 1911... Next slide, please. Oh, yeah, next slide. Oh, wait, that's this slide. Yep. Um, oh. I need to keep up. So, on September 20th, 1911, uh, during her fifth voyage, Olympic was sailing through the Solent under the command of Captain Smith. Um, she was running parallel with the British cruiser HMS Hawk. Um, Olympic uh, apparently began to make a wide turn. Uh, at the same time, the Hawk was sailing pretty close and probably got caught in Olympics, uh, you know, the, the, the dynamics around the hull. And unable to take evasive action, the Hawk just, it, you know, it had a bow design for ramming, basically. It just slammed straight into the Olympic on her starboard side, on the stern, just under the aft well deck. And it created this huge, like, V-shaped gash uh, above the waterline, as well as some damage below. Uh, two of Olympic's watertight compartments were flooded, and a propeller shaft was bent. Um, and uh, one of the propellers was damaged as well. Um, Olympic was patched up over the next two weeks and returned to Belfast, and it was fully repaired over six weeks. Um, of course, this led to delays for Titanic. Um, due to really Olymp messed up the Hawk, though. Look at that on the top right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wished that bow over to the, the right-hand side. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Hawk, of course, survived as well, you know, but I'm sure it was very costly to fix. You've mm. angered the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is when Olympic gets the taste for blood, and after that, it gets sets out onto the open ocean in search of more things to run into. <laughs> uh, you know, of course, delays uh, due to the Hawk mishap and the urgent need for repairs. Titanic's fitting out was delayed while Olympic was repaired, um, primarily due to the fact that it was decided to save time by replacing Olympic's damaged propeller shaft with one meant for Titanic. Um, the delays wouldn't end here, though. Um, on February 24th, 1912, Olympic lost a propeller blade while sailing from New York. Uh, sometimes ships would just throw propeller blades. Just whoop, whoop, whoops, um, so weight savings. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, oh man, those are really just riveted on, huh? Because uh, it can't be like cast in one piece or whatever, that, so they're just attached. That looks uh, like actually, a bolt to me. Yeah, well, uh, the center propeller was one uh, solid cast piece, uh, but the wing propellers, no, they were uh, they were giant blades that were bolted on with huge bolts, and they could be changed in their pitch depending on what they wanted. Huh. Interesting. Uh, um, but you know, because I, I like the like six foot diameter bolt there. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, because of the throwing propeller blade, they decided to take one from Titanic. Um. And that just delayed Titanic further to the point where originally Titanic was meant to sail on March 20th uh, in 1912. But because of all these delays in the Hawk and the propeller incident, 
Titanic uh, was pushed to April 10th, 1912 for a maiden voyage. Hmm. Hmm. Titanic was effectively completed on April 2nd, 1912, a mere eight days between uh, before her maiden voyage. So they were cutting it close. Um, so Titanic went on her sea trials April 12th. Uh, the sea trials were uh, held from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. They consisted primarily of running the ship um, to various speeds and making various maneuvers under different conditions. You know, backing up, going forward, having the engines at different speeds and all that with and without the sec- the center propeller. Getting they wanted the to get a boat and destroying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trying they wanted to quench to get... its bloodlust, unable to quench its bloodlust. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to get a full <laughs> rundown, basically, on how many ships Titanic could kill. She, she is hungry <laughs> for a ferry. <laughs> just painting Bring one of the um, catamaran <laughs> one of the like flying tigers like eye and jaw with the teeth on the side of the bow it's got a, it's, cool. it's like the side of a, of a bomber or whatever it's got how many yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Three, three barges uh and a uh car float um you know and the staten island ferry <laughs> so uh you know one example is that they did a full stop test uh Basically, from 18 knots, they reversed the engines as quickly as they could. It took just over three minutes to come to a full stop over the course of 3,000 feet. Uh, it was actually a fairly short stopping distance for a ship her size. Um, they said that the Titanic had performed extremely well during her trials past flying colors. Um, once the trials were done, Titanic set sail for Southampton and arrived there uh, after midnight uh, at the end of April 3rd. Getting so, into ice season. Yeah. So at this time, um, something else was happening. Coal miners were striking for a minimum wage in the UK and mm. I think America. Ungrateful. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when Titanic arrived in Southampton, it was in the middle of this huge coal strike. It had begun on February 29th, 1912. You know, they wanted, they, they had they demanded a minimum wage. Um, the unions had about 10 million in their coffers at the start of the strike uh, used to provide uh, pay for the striking workers. Um, you know, of course, the strike had the strike had a ripple effect. You know, the coal dwindled. Ships had to be laid up because, you know, no coal, um, you know, which meant that employment among the ship's crews increased. And many of the ships ended up getting tied up around the Southampton docks, um, many of them side by side. You know, they'd be doubled up. Uh, including some of the American Lions ships, um, which are near Titanic's birth, uh, one being called the New York, another was the Philadelphia, the St. Louis, the St. Paul. Um, mm-hmm. These are also near Titanic. Um, uh, the strike itself wouldn't delay uh, Titanic's uh, voyage, at least not directly. We'll get to that. Uh, but it did force White Star to pull what coal they could from other ships in order to fill Titanic's bunkers. Um, you know, the strike began to reach its limits uh, with the companies claiming the workers couldn't hold out much longer and the unions claiming they could at least another two weeks. But, um, you know, soon the workers themselves started breaking the picket lines and returned to work on their own. Well, apparently with uh, 30,000 returning to work by April 3rd and another 10,000 the next day. God damn it. God damn it. Um, on April 6th, uh, in a 440 to 125 vote, the Miners Federation ended the strike. so you know at this point you know titanic's uh titanic had its uh crew and officers uh pretty much laid out um you know most of the crew signed on for the maiden voyage the day the coal strike ended 
Um, usually it took crew some getting used to the new design of the new ships, but uh, some of the crew had already sailed on Olympic, so they basically knew Titanic already in that sense. Um, Let's meet the crew. Yeah. Um, many of the crew came from a densely uh, packed like portion of Southampton. Um, a lot of them would die in the sinking, and uh, you know, it, that led to like a huge part of the like the, the local population of Southampton being gutted because of it. It was it hit them pretty hard. Mm. Um, you Can know, we pause for a second to talk about on on the bottom left the surviving crew. How sick that guy's white starline sweatshirt is! Oh yeah, that's, that's pretty dope. Mm-hmm. I want that. Yeah, I I want that white star that white starline shirt. Is that <sighs> what color do you suppose that is? Is that red? Be I think cool. they I think yeah. they would have been black or blue. I don't recall. Yeah. It's like, it's like still a, though. It's like a varsity uh, sweatshirt. Very mm-hmm. like Steve Zissou. Yeah. I like it a lot. Um, the Titanic's crew con- uh, comprised of uh, several departments: the deck department that included the captain and officers, the abled seamen, the, the no dirty jokes, please. Oh, you, please, oh, you, <laughs> can, make, you can make a couple. Yeah. <laughs> Why would we do that? Yeah, very serious. This is a clean podcast. This is a, clean podcast. Yeah, this is a family podcast. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you know, the quartermaster. Maybe single people listen to this podcast. <laughs> we don't know. We don't mm-hmm. want to know. Uh, you know, the quartermasters were part of that department. So, you know, the people they were at the helm. You know, the steering the wheel and you know making sure not to hit things. I guess keeping the ship on track. Uh, Issuing the, look- the cool sweaters. Yeah. yeah, the lookouts and the other uh, various other duties around the ship. Um. And then there was the engine department. These are the engineers, the greasers, the firemen, the trimmers. Um, you know, firemen shoveled, shoveled coal, the trimmers moved it around, the greasers, you know, kept the engines lubed up, made sure they worked nice and good. Nice. Um, and I you know, for this. also electricians and others and peace people involved with running the technical side of the ship. And then Blue there were boils. the Yeah. And, and then there were the the victualling departments, um, they were separated according to class. Each class had its own stewards, uh, cooks, maid, or, well, they were called stewards. by level of, like, snootiness and Italianness, respectively. Basically. Uh, um, now, the Titanic had uh, eight officers, including Smith. Um, uh, the other officers were um, Chief Officer Henry Tingle Wild. Uh, first <clears throat> officer William McMaster Murdoch, uh, second officer Charles Herbert Lightoller, third officer Herbert John Pittman, fourth officer Joseph Groves Boxhall, fifth officer Harold Godfrey Lowe, and sixth officer James Paul Moody. That's too many officers. You gotta have fewer officers, I think. Well, they come in useful later. I've just found I've just found that white Starline sweatshirt, and uh, you can you can get one from the production of Titanic, the Kevin Costner movie, for a mere <laughs> seven hundred pounds. I, oh. I I was also looking at it, and all the ones I found were uh, the kerning is wrong. Oh bummer. yeah, you, you need that like hand embroidered sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, you need you need the uh, you know it has to be like the wider you know it's the old timey mm. sort of. There's some there's something uh, as je ne sais quoi about old. <laughs> Um, type, you know, especially like sans serif, right? In the, oh, the pre Helvetica yeah, era, you know, where everything was just mm. slightly different. <laughs> um, on board was the guarantee group. They were, uh, norm- when ships first sailed, they would have a group of people from the shipyard come aboard. Um, 
This included uh, then, you know, the new chief designer, Thomas Andrews, uh, along with other people from various Holland and Wolf departments to just make sure the ship was working and all that. Um, sadly, none, no, none of the nine member uh, 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 guarantee groups survived the sinking. Hmm. Um, then there's Captain Smith himself, you know, uh, you know, you know, he was born in uh Hanley, Staffordshire, England, uh, January 27th, 1850. Um, you know, he kind of grew up you know, eventually taking, going on the course of becoming a, a, a seaman, basically. Um, you know, in 1887, he married, he had a daughter. He joined the White Star Line in 1880, starting as fourth officer on the Celtic uh, or the Celtic. I don't really know. Um, 1887, he got his first command aboard the Republic. He earned his uh, extra master's certificate the next year. Uh, he joined the uh, Royal Naval Reserve and retired from the R&R in 1905 with the commander rank. Um, oh, yeah. All of the all of these guys were like uh, to captain these. You had to be essentially like available for the Navy to just like press gang you whenever. Yeah. Um, starting in 1895, Smith was captain of the Majestic for nine years, um, including a brief service during the Boer War, uh, where he mm. was awarded the Transport Medal. Uh, Smith gained a reputation with passengers of, uh, at the time, uh, as a safe captain and, uh, you know, he eventually became known as the millionaire's captain. Um, starting in 1904, he was tapped to command all of White Star Line's newest vessels for their maiden voyages and given command of their largest ship, uh, commanded their largest ship Baltic in 1904. Um, as as we've seen with um, uh, the fucking uh, Tenerife uh, air disaster, celebrity captains and celebrity pilots never a good idea. Nope, nope. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Smith moved to the Adriatic, and by 1911, uh, on Olympic's voyage, maiden voyage, he was one of the most experienced captains in the world at that point. Um, he was he was a natural choice for Olympic. Um. Regardless of the recent incidents with Olympic, he was given command of Titanic. Um, you know, it, it's been it's often been claimed that Smith planned to retire after Titanic. Um, it's hard to tell, but it's, evidence seems to indicate that he probably did intend to retire, although exactly when I don't know. He was 62 years old at the time, though. So, you know, he's getting up there. Hmm. Uh, Smith was paid uh, 1,250 pounds per year as a master, with a bonus of 200 pounds if the year uh, was free of accidents. Oh, see, so he's he's against his economic interest here, so I, I immediately like, yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> just like <laughs> scraping against <laughs> this iceberg and like distraught because you're losing your no claims uh, bonus. Oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> uh, passengers on board at, at the time of sailing. Uh, the ship was only half booked, actually. Um, wow. it, had a to it had a total passenger capacity of 2,435, if you include crew, 3,547. Um, of this total 3,500 capacity, Titanic had 2,200 on board for the main voyage um, by the time she left Queenstown. Uh, so, you know, right away, you see, it could have been a lot worse. Hmm. Um... You know, the first paying passenger to board Titanic was a guy named Wickoff Vanderhoof, who boarded in. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, he boarded in uh, Belfast, and then he reboarded in uh, in Southampton, and he ended up dying in the sinking. Naturally, um, 
then he had other paths. Vanderhoof. And then he had other people. (laughs) (laughs) You had other passengers. You know, you John Jacob Astor. He was the richest man on the ship, and apparently, he also has my birthday. he had hmm. a pregnant wife with him. Um, you know, he died, of course. Uh, Benjamin Guggenheim and his uh, valet, Victor Giglio, they died, of course. Uh, Major Archibald Butt was a passenger. <laughs> ah, Major Butt. Major Archibald. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Molly Brown, the unsinkable Molly Brown, although they called her Margaret. Um, Father Francis Brown, he was a uh, Jesuit priest. Um, and a guy named Raymond. Artigaidvesha, I am so sorry. I he's dead. It's okay. Yeah, yeah he, you don't need to. Need he, to uh, us, huh? So he he was a uh, Raymond was an uh, Argentinian businessman. In 1871, he survived the fire and sinking of a ship called America. Uh, one of only 65 survivors. Um, oh, we're all on a sinking ship called America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, not now. <laughs> <speak for laughs> <yourself. laughs> uh, for the next 40 years, Raymond was haunted by it, and he never felt safe on another ship. Yeah, Until that's Titanic. Fair. That's Oh, buddy. Oh, oh boy. Oh, <laughs> uh, Titanic. Cursed by his own hubris. Yeah. In, letter, <laughs> in letters, Raymond wrote that uh, he finally felt safe on Titanic. At least I will be able to travel, and above all, I will be able to sleep calm. Um, and, you know, he felt that the advent of Marconi Wireless meant that, you know, he'd be safe because the thing with uh, the sinking that he was involved in was that the ship was close to land but nobody came to rescue at least not fast uh so that was his big concern sadly Whereas here you, you're in like a big a busy shipping lane yeah the ship hits something you just sit in the smoking room smoking for an hour until the next ship along comes and rescues you yeah yeah assuming and the sad- thing you hit wasn't another ship <laughs> mm. now you're both sinking yeah um sadly of course he would die in the sinking um there were also a few voyage cancellations a few were known to cancel their trips one of them was milton hershey hershey chocolate name um he canceled his trip to attend to business matters um others included jp morgan he was slated to be on titanic he owned the parent company of the white star line um but he left for uh, some reason uh i forgot Um. Uh, there was novelist Theodore Dreiser, uh, Pittsburgh steel baron Henry Frick, and Vanderbilt heir Alfred uh, yeah. Owen Vanderbilt. Yeah, we could have we could have had revolution of the United States in like three days. Yeah, <laughs> these pricks had just been on this boat. Um, apparently, apparently, Guglielmo Marconi was also offered free passage, but he decided to take the Lusitania days earlier. Women w- with access to the su- the time machine, uh, Mister Frick, uh, you have to wake up. Your ship's about to leave. <laughs> The um, uh, I think uh, both the uh, air like heirs to the Widener fortune were on board, and they died. And Linwood Hall has been vacant ever since. Uh, um, yeah. Then what? The president of the Grand Trunk Western Railroad was uh, aboard, and I don't think, you mean the Grand Funk uh, Railroad? No, no, I, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm the president sure. of Jefferson Airplane I'm was on board. I'm pretty sure you mean the Grand Funk. I believe that was uh, Jefferson Ocean Liner at the time. <laughs> yeah, they had to rename themselves in 1911. They renamed themselves after the fastest way to cross the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> so the funny thing about Marconi is that he apparently took Lusitania because he preferred the stenographer that they provided on board. What a fucking dweeb. And 
and he uh, he would escape disaster again on Lusitania because he was on Lusitania's last voyage before the one that it was sunk on. <laughs> Damn. Um, all We're in so all, bad at killing billionaires. Yeah, and fascists, you know. It's, uh, yeah. Funny. Um, all in all, the you'd be surprised how many freaking people have uh, claimed to have relatives like who were supposed to be on Titanic and missed a boat. I was I was driving through Michigan. Me and some friends from my Titanic project were going through Michigan one time. We stopped at the antique store, and this guy in there started talking about how his relative missed the boat, and it's like. If you added up all the people who supposedly missed Titanic, it would sink the ship. <laughs> hey, you know, they kind of they overbook. It's like the airlines, right? And then you get bumped onto another ship. Oh, they give I you don't a first class cabin. Flight, man. Don't remind me I got to fly today. <clears throat> uh, the, so, you know, on April 10th, uh, or, and I think the day before, there, there was a Board of Trade inspection. The Titanic had to undergo it and pass it uh you know that they, they had to check all their safety equipment their life belts and uh, flares rockets life life boats and all that stuff um you know uh, so you know even at, even by april 10th the work on titanic was just crazy because they still hadn't technically like completed the ship like they were still bringing on furniture and fittings and all kinds of crap um you know, it was even claimed that the Grand Staircase clock hadn't been installed yet, but I don't know if that's true. Um, so, you know, they were even touching up the paint. Uh, you mm. know, T- Thomas Andrews boarded at 6 a.m. By 6 a.m., most of the crews had arrived. Captain Smith left his home around 7 a.m. He got his paper from the paper boy. He arrived by 7.30. Um, there was a formal muster of crew at 8 a.m. And uh, it was after this that uh, they had, like, a lifeboat drill. Um at around 9 a.m. Most of the officers were at the drill, along with some of the crew, not all of them. Uh, two lifeboats were lowered into the water. They were swung out and all that, and um, they were rowed around for a bit, brought back on deck. Um, the way they brought the boats back on deck was uh, through these electric boat winches. Um, although, yeah, because, you know, of course, they, they lowered them by hand, you know, they're splitting out the rope, but, of course, they needed the winches to get them back. Um, mm. So, you know, passengers arrived over the, cor- over the course of the morning, mainly from 9.30 a.m., and many arrived via the boat trains from London or from local hotels. Um, they would have been unloaded and boarded Titanic from uh, Berth 44, where Titanic was moored. There were gangways attached to the ship. Um, there were also many guests who were allowed on the ship, like people who weren't paying passengers or, you know, like if or if they were friends of passengers or journalists. They were basically allowed free run of the ship uh, with what's, re- uh, what's the what's the stowaway situation Sabotage. like? Do we, yeah, think? we we don't know about that. Uh, of course, we'll never know. Um, I don't mm. know of any stowaways. I mean, they were pretty strict, but of course, mm, people get in now. Um, mainly, it was first and uh, second class passengers. Um, you know, it, it, basically, these people, the journalists and the friends and all that, they could tour the public areas for example second class passenger lawrence beasley and a friend of his they toured first class um just to check it out see what's going on yeah Yeah. and apparently some were even allowed to like tour third class so basically it was a brand new ship people were allowed to walk around and go wow Hmm. Um, looking into third class like wow those men sure are irish (laughs) yep (laughs) Uh, can you take me to these uh glory holes i've heard so much about (laughs) just for my own personal observation you understand (laughs) 
Um, among the last to board Titanic at Southampton were uh, some stokers and firemen who were late to reboard because uh, uh, the stokers had been allowed to go ashore if they weren't on duty. You know, they can go to the pub and all that, but they yeah. had to be back before the ship left. And, um, you know, two of them, John Podesta and William Nutbean, <laughs> made, made it onto the ship. Wait, J- J- John Podesta, like the, the Democrat guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, they made it up the gangplank at the last moment, just just before it was pull, uh, starting to get pulled back. And at this point, six officer Moody was just standing watch being like, that's enough of this shit. Uh, so by that point, firemen and uh, brothers, Alfred Bertram and Tom Slade uh, and a trimmer named Penny, uh, they were rushing along the dock. And by the time they got to the gangplank, it was being pulled back. And uh, Moody was like, he had enough. He refused to let him board. And uh, damn, dude. So, you know, they, you know, I, I know, I'm announced to them it was their lucky day. Yeah, they, um, they, they just got some more Irishmen out of the bunker to replace uh, them. <laughs> uh, come on, Finnegan, stretch those legs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we're sailing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we are. Wait, uh, which, uh, oh, yeah. Okay, uh, after, so. After merely uh, one hour, 42 minutes into the episode, we are, we're, we're, we are away from on, the dark. We're underway, yeah. This is going to crack four hours. Oh, yeah. oh. Um, almost underway. So the departure. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah no, there's going to be more. So the gangways are pulled back. Uh, this is were... revenge for the Gulf State micro projects thing, yeah. where yeah. Like, we tortured Seamus. <laughs> now Kyle is torturing us. <laughs> yep, that's why I made literally sixty pages of notes. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you'll be fine, you big baby. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the crew went to their stations, blah, blah, blah. It pulled away from the dock, you know, passengers are being happy and calling blah, blah, blah. Um, but you know, as Titanic was rounding the corner, being guided by tugs, um, into the deep water channel, the pilot on board named, uh, Boyer, he ordered the engines slow ahead. Um, you know, and of course, you know, the, uh, you know, source, they started going slow ahead. Um, only two outer wing propellers would have been turning, not the center one. Um, and you know, as the propellers are turning, the ship was moving. There was a complex series of forces around the ship in the water, you know, like what happened with the Hawk. And but, you know, Hard by ti- to maneuver these things. To say. Yeah. Titanic was meant to leave by noon, but I think it was 15 minutes late. Um, but it would about to be even later. Um, so as Titanic was. Uh, passing you know the the various docks um she passed two of the ships docked side by side one of them being the new york as titanic passed the dynamics of the water flowing around uh, put stress on the new york's moorings and they started to snap with loud reports um some Her of the ship. ropes some of the ropes flew backwards into the dock almost hitting people um cursed as, ship cursed ship yeah, already, cursed already ship. hungering for smaller ships. Uh, <laughs> uh, as Titanic continued, continued to pass by, and remember, the New York is only there because of the coal strike, so like we're seeing how events are coming together to form this, put Titanic on this path. Um, so, you know, as Titanic passed by, the New York's stern swung out into the channel. Um, Titanic's port engine was ordered to reverse, to, reverse, um, to try to pushed to New York away. The tug Vulcan uh, was nearby. It was ordered by someone to move between the New York and the Titanic and the cap- 
Oh, yeah, yeah, it, just, it, yeah, just get in between these two yeah. things. Yeah, and Captain Gale was like, uh, fuck that. No. Um, <laughs> and he decided to attach a line to the stern of the New York instead, uh, which immediately snapped. Uh, and then he attached a second line and, you know, it, this held and uh, the Vulcan was able to slowly pull, pull the New York uh, uh, away or, or at least arrest its movement. Um, Unfortunately, it, this uh, this aroused the Titanic's bloodlust. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It, it never it, got to kill that tugboat, and as such, yeah. had to kill everyone else aboard. That's, that's yeah. why they were gone so fast, as Titanic was excited to go get to New York Harbor and <laughs> whack right into the Staten Island Ferry. <laughs> <laughs> Just aiming directly for the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Beasting on car floats. <laughs> um, so, so the New York, the New York came within about four feet of hitting Titanic, by some accounts. Um. But finally, you know, the Titanic started to reverse a bit. The New York finally pulled away and Titanic backed up for a bit, uh, assisted by tugs. The New York was swung around and pulled to the other side of the dock, as you see in the diagram. Um, top right, of course. Um, as a tight. Uh, yeah. Um, so once uh, all was in order, though, Titanic begins stealing, steaming down the river again, probably some have claimed that it was delayed about an hour, but it was probably more like 15 minutes, maybe half an hour. Um, you know, the reaction from passengers varied. Some were like, you know, one passenger remarked as it was happening, now for a crash. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Comically, like, wiping my brow of sweat. Yeah, I've been uh, Joker-fied, <laughs> but 1912 style. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, first class passenger Jacques Futrell uh, uh, said, well, she got that out of her system anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you thought the bloodlust was over? <laughs> uh, one Norman Chambers, on the other hand, he knew it was up. He said that it was an evil omen. Curse chip. Curse chip. Curse chip. Man's hubris. <laughs> um, It'll get you, kids. So, yeah. Um. I would simply sail on a ship that was not cursed. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. I am. I'm. Just, I guess I'm just built different than yeah. all the dead people. <laughs> R.I.P. to your to your grand to your great grandma, but I'm just built different. <laughs> mm -hmm. Next slide, please. All right. Um, as all this was happening, there was a coal fire going on below decks. Oh boy. Yeah, it's called a steam yeah, engine. That's supposed to that's happen. Supposed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So coal <laughs> fires were not uncommon on ships of the time. Yeah, you, know, you had these big bunkers full of coal. Uh, sometimes it would self-combust, uh, and they would start to smolder. This happened in Titanic's case. Uh, there's a small coal fire in the forward starboard bunker, boiler room five. That's marked on the plans here, where the fire would have been. I'm just roughly. looking at all of the coal bunkers, and they've actually run out of letters. They go like there's coal bunker R S T U V. Uh, there's this starts in W, and then the one after Y is a beta. Just incredible. Wow. That's a he, lot of coal. He, I have a yeah. question. Big ship, Alice. Mm. Presumably, this is all the same grade of coal, right? Presumably. So, what? Why are there dividers in the coal bunker? Uh well, the main reason is that uh, these are watertight bulkheads. Oh, I see. And and then, of course, they were divided on the lower levels by the, um. You know, by the passageways and such. Why does it just say do, 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 do in the bits in the middle? Oh, that's, uh, that means ditto. Uh, boilers. Uh, it says boiler. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, a quick aside, uh, uh, a friend of mine named uh, Matt DeWinkler is, uh, 
he's been making his own set of plans for the last two years. And these are some of the samples of that. Mm. Uh, they'll, they, those should be released soon. So, um, so what's up with this fire? So the fire, so what's right? Up with so, this fire? so it had been burning since Belfast, basically. Um, it had probably been going around 10 days by the time it was put out. Um, it, it's important to note though, that it is, this wasn't really like a massive raging fire. It was probably a spot of smoldering coal, but it was up against the bulkhead. I think, um, you know, the trimmers dug through the coal bunker. They used, they prioritized using coal from this bunker in order to empty it. Um, and yeah, you know, finally the fire was put out. It, it would eventually be put out on April 13th. Um, yeah, and you know, it was, uh, when they cleared out the coal, uh, apparently the, the, the fire had left a bit of a scorch mark on the steel, uh, watertight bulkhead with a demon's face on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a slight bulge. Um, so, Weird. you know, it's, it's unclear, you know, obviously I don't, I personally don't think it contributed to any failure in the bulkhead or anything like that. I don't think it ever failed. Um, yeah, but you know, in the proximate words of a leading fireman, Fred Barrett, you know, he said the bulkhead was damaged from the bottom, the bottom of the watertight compartment was dinged aft and the other part dinged forward. Um, another fireman said that he could see where the bulkhead had, uh, been red hot, all the paint and everything was off and it was dented. Mm. Um, so they got some black oil and rubbed it on there. <laughs> well, this is another uh, one of the conspiracies, right? As they were speeding because of the uh, coal bunker situation, they want to get to port where they could fight the fire more effectively. Yeah, and that wasn't even true. I mean, they were fighting it, and they had it out before the sinking. Yeah, and they so, were speeding because they wanted to get to New York Harbor and mow down a railroad tug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and get that cool trophy. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and of course, in the last, this is one of this leads to one of the dumber chapters in Titanic, like documentary uh, crap. Because like in the last couple of years, on the top right, there's that photo of Titanic that was taken in uh, in Belfast, and there was another photo, and you see that little mark, that dark mark in the circle. Um, so the documentary tried to claim that the coal fire was a big factor in the sinking. It said that. You know, uh, the main piece of evidence was the photos. Oh, this smudge is a scorch mark caused by the coal fire. Um, reality is that it's just a reflection. A reflection. I mean, you know, it, 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 the the mark is nowhere near where the fire was. I mean, if if that had been a scorch mark, uh, that would have meant the mail room was on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a lot of stuff like that, like uh. You know, the, the, they claim the fire was never extinguished. It was. They claim that the fire uh, was hushed up. Um, they didn't mention it to the passengers, but, you know, why would you? So they could panic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it was claimed I'm just going to the- terrify you. <laughs> but I don't mean to alarm you, but there may be a coal fire or coal fires. Also, the ship has an unquenchable lust for blood, and you're next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was claimed that it was covered up at the British Inquiry. Uh, it wasn't. I, I just don't think it was talked about much. Um, it was claimed that the fire began to spread. It got worse. Didn't. Um, it was claimed that Titanic was short on coal. Also not true. It had reserve coal for up to 1.8 days at 21 knots or even slower. Um, it, was, it, it, it was claimed that Thomas Andrews believed the ship would survive. No, he knew it was doomed from the moment he saw the damage and did the calculations. 
Um, you know, it was claimed that the fire damage bulkhead gave way, but uh, that's probably not true. Uh, there are other explanations because basically the fireman Fred Barrett had seen a wall of water rushing through the boiler room in that area at the time uh, during the sinking. And, you know, he hightailed it out of there. But they're, they like to claim that this is because the bulkhead, bulkhead collapsed, but it probably may have uh, came from the door of the bunker collapsing or something like that because the bunker was flooding at the time. And, you know, the bottom hmm. left, that's one of the bunker doors fireman destroyed with facts and logic yes at any rate because of the coal fire and because they were using uh more coal from the starboard bunker titanic took on a port list of about 2.3 2.5 degrees or so um and it had that for the re- in- entire rest of the voyage you see at the bottom right it's it leaned about that much hmm um, Imagine playing squash on a two point three degree incline. Yeah, I would. Voyage ruined, literally mm-hmm. unplayable. It takes away some of the romance of the voyage when you realize, you know, that entire entire uh, time, everyone was like just leaning slightly. slightly. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I like it. Did they, did they uh, capture that in the movie? I never seen the movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you see Kevin Costner like leaning slightly. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to watch the movie and make it more accurate, what you should do is lean your television over like one point. <laughs> just do, do a bit of a Dutch angle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, next slide. So you know, at this point, Titanic is. Uh, sailing towards Cherbourg, France for her first stop. Um, you know, the, the crew settled into their routine, the passengers too, down in boiler room five, you know, that they were still fighting the fire. Uh, you know, chief engineer, uh, Joseph Bell decided it was time to do something about it for good. So he ordered leader leading fireman Fred Barrett to begin the efforts to extinguish the fire. And, you know, of course that's when they began to, uh, really prioritize use of the coal, uh, from that bunker and all that. Um, and also at the time, they were also using a hose to pour water into the bunker, so they weren't just digging it out. Um, Titanic dropped anchor near Cherbourg around 6.30 p.m. April 10th. The tender's nomadic in traffic, uh, specifically built for Olympic-class liners, delivered more passengers. Um, I like the I like the tenders, they're cute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tendies. Well. Little like yeah, little uh, little miniature Titanics. One of them's still yeah. around, right? Yeah, the Nomadic is uh, still there in Belfast. It's been yeah. restored. Aww. Sweet. Um, it's the last remaining uh white, I think White Star vessel. Hmm. Didn't they get um, they got bought by someone right a few years ago? Or yeah, yeah. part of Cunard now, I think. Yeah, but they're but they're owned by I want to say Royal Caribbean. Could uh, be wrong on that. Carnival. Carnival. There yeah. we go. Carnival owns everything. Yeah. Um, they they even own Cunard. Oh, the money have fallen. So, uh, you know, among the passengers who boarded was Molly Brown. Uh, you know, they they went to dinner and all that, and Titanic weighed anchor around uh, eight ten p.m. and it set sail for Queenstown, Ireland. Uh, by late morning, April eleventh, uh, Titanic uh dropped anchor off the coast of Queenstown uh, Harbor uh, by. 11:30 a.m. and uh you know apparently by the morning of the 11th uh so, you know some passengers were writing letters that they could, that could be sent off by the mail uh, including chief officer wild who wrote in a letter saying 
I still don't like this ship. I have a queer feeling about it. <laughs> Just you wait, buddy. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm experiencing some foreshadowing. Yes. Uh, We're uh, queering the Titanic. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Over the next two hours, the Tenders Island in America ferried new batches of passengers to Titanic, uh, along with cargo and uh, mail. And uh, some passengers also left the ship. Um, some only booked passage at that point, including Father Francis Bow uh, Brown and his Kodak vest pocket camera. Uh, he used it to take pictures. And, uh, you know, luckily he got off the ship and uh, there's some of the best pictures we have of Titanic's, you know, final time near the shore sailing and all that. Um, mm -hmm. Brown had befriended some passengers on board in first class and they offered to pay him passage all the way to New York. But when he asked his uh, his parish in Ireland about it, they were like, get off that ship. So <laughs> he got off that ship. And who said the Roman Catholic Church was good for nothing? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Titanic weighed anchor around 1.30 p.m. April 11th and set sail for the final time. Uh, there were 2,208 people aboard, 891 crew and officers, 324 first class, 284 second class, uh, that's 284, uh, and uh, 709 third class. So... Um, Titanic passed Daunt's Rock light vessel by 1.55 p.m. Crushing right. it entirely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Opening its gaping maw. Yeah. <laughs> uh, April 11th. Um, this, uh, when, they, when ships passed Daunt's Rock, this, uh, this uh, marked the official starting point to the uh, transatlantic crossing. Um, and yeah, so... You know, April 12th, uh, you know, the next day, you know, they begin with the usual routines and breakfast. Um, but um, apparently the, not all was well on the ship. Um, they were having, for example, they were having trouble with the ship's heating systems. Uh, the heating was done a couple of ways. Um, one was through the use of electric um, heaters that there were in a lot of cabins, um mainly in first class and public rooms and another was using steam radiators they were like in floors uh, along floors and stuff and um but those are mainly in public spaces uh but most extensively were the ship's ventilation systems um it, it, air was basically sucked in through these huge electric fans and forced through a series of steam tubes to heat it before being forced through the uh a oh, ton of ventilation shafts and apparently this didn't work very well uh, some passengers complained of too much heat, some of too little, and the, apparently they weren't fussing around with that, and Andrews was concerned about it for much of the voyage. Um, first class didn't worry too much about it because they had the heaters. In, hmm. in the Marconi suite, um, the Marconi operators, Jack Phillips and Harold Bride, uh, were working, sending, receiving messages between ships and shore. Um, it was at this point that they received one of the first ice messages uh, from the La Terrain. It read in part, dense fog since the night uh, crossed thick ice field. Paris saw another ice field and two icebergs. Um, you know, obviously at that time of year, it wasn't unusual. They expected ice. Um, by this point... It's the, it's the ice season. The yes. stuff starts to melt, and by this point, it's already drifted into the path of the like shipping corridors. Yeah. Um, later that night, uh, Captain Smith dined with Bruce Ismay in the a la carte restaurant. Ismay invited some people back to his suite for a game of bridge. 
Um, earlier that day, lists were posted for the different departments showing what lifeboats they would be assigned to, uh, with the intention of having a, a crew muster the next day for the boats. Um, by midnight, uh, the Titanic's 21st boiler was brought online after being fired for most of the day. Uh, because at this point, not all the boilers were running. Um, they still, the, the boiler room uh, one was still offline, and a uh, boiler room two, it seemed, was also mostly offline. Um, by noon on April 13th, Titanic had covered about 519 miles with an average speed of 20.91 knots um, over the course of 24 hours. Um, you know, as they brought these uh, more boilers online, Titanic was sped up from 72 to 75 RPM. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, over the course of that, they just kind of sped up a bit. Um, also, a little incident occurred in uh, first class when passenger Irene Harris slipped and fell while descending the grand staircase and broke her arm. Um, Ooh, she had to, linoleum. Yeah, yeah, she, she had to be taken care of by the ship's doctor, O'Loughlin. And uh, as far as the other passengers were concerned, this was the event of the crossing. Terrifying. First mm -hmm. ship. Anyway. Hungered for blood and had yeah. only got an arm. So far. <laughs> <laughs> On the night of April 13th, Transformer in the uh, silent room of the Marconi suite started having issues. Um, it ended up being due to a short because a lead had come in contact with a metal part of the wooden enclosure. Um, and the, the uh, Phillips and Bride were unable to use it. Um, the maintenance manual called for the Marconi equipment to uh, it explicitly stated that operators should not attempt to diagnose or fix the faults that they that might be in the system, and instead to use uh, an emergency set. But Phillips and uh, Bride they weren't having any of that crap, so they decided to take it upon themselves to diagnose and fix the issue. Um, they spent a good few hours doing it, and by uh, 5 a.m. on April 14th, they had it fixed, basically by using some electrical tape. Right. Um, so, yeah, the Marconi equipment was up and running. Um, there may have been a, uh, something of a backlog of uh, passenger messages that they worked through. Um, yeah, send more cigarettes, send more cigarettes yeah. again. Ow, my Desperately arm. send more cigarettes. <laughs> more cigars. Broke my arm on the stupid linoleum. Send more cigarettes. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> I have resorted to cannibalism. <laughs> Uh, cr crush any sign of strikes. Yes. Uh, Arrange for a tramp steamer to cross our path in uh, New York Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> please, please move Statue of Liberty into path of ship. Um, so on April, 3rd, and they're, they're sending these in Morse too. By yeah. the way, <laughs> takes a long ass time. Ugh, I wouldn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Um. So on April 13th, uh, passenger Elizabeth Lines uh, had been sitting in the first class reception room and she saw Captain Smith and Ismay come in uh, and converse at a nearby table. Uh, apparently, they were men of habit because like, they kept sitting at that table on multiple days. <laughs> um, so any, at any rate, Lines overheard their conversation, uh, particularly when they started talking about the ship's daily run. It was a common topic for people to talk about. That's all they had to talk about on ships back then. How much distance it covered. Um, it was clear that Ismay was excited about the apparent success of Titanic. He was apparently gushing about it. Just 
yeah, just going over and over about how great the oh how great the steam pressure was and that Titanic was beating Olympics time and some yeah, guy yeah, next yeah. to him thinking, I wish this guy would shut the fuck up about this boat. And the yeah. monkey pearl, <laughs> the monkey paw curls. Poss- possibly Smith, because uh, reportedly Smith just sat there and listened to him, and he didn't reply the entire time. Oh damn! <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Ismay was reported to have said, you know, he was repeating himself. Yeah, you, know, you see, they, the boilers, are standing the pressure. Everything is going well. The boilers are working well. We can do better Again, tomorrow. At, at this point, you could get cocaine over the counter he's, at this time. Yeah. He's got a parasocial relationship with the captain. Our world's earliest WTYP fan, Uh, so Ismay reportedly said we will beat the Olympic and get into New York on Tuesday because they were scheduled to get there on uh, Wednesday morning. Um, Ismay also believed apparently that they could squeeze a bit more speed out of Titanic by putting more steam on. Uh, Or once Ismay finished, they got up and he said, you know. Uh, come on, Captain. We'll get somebody and go down to the squash courts. Um, if Smith had any reservations about Ismay, his statements, he didn't show it. Um, they played squash on a li- uh, um, on a, on a list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by noon, the 14th, uh, Titanic's run over that last 24 hours had been 546 miles with an average speed of 22.06 knots. Um, with that being the best run yet. Um, Titanic so far had traveled uh, 1,549 miles of her total 2,891 nautical mile course. Um, at the rate Titanic was sailing, it's very possible that she could have arrived in New York before the scheduled arrival of 5 a.m. Wednesday the 17th. She could have gotten in maybe on Tuesday night if she had kept up the pace. Um, that point is still hotly debated. Um, and another point, Ismay also met with Chief, Chief Engineer Joseph Bell in his cabin to discuss the ship's speed. Ismay apparently wanted Titanic to be driven to full speed, if only for a few hours, uh, if the weather was good enough on Monday, the, the 15th or the 16th. Uh, the officer, it just seems very, very excitable. He seems almost quite juvenile about yes. this. Yeah, Ismay did see his personality did, did seem like he was very excitable during the voyage. Um, by, by all accounts, he was actually a pretty nice guy uh you know he, oh, yeah we'll, we'll get into some of the the portrayals of him in like popular culture yeah. later but like yeah no he just seems very very like enthused yeah you should see ross on trains it's just yeah. like this <laughs> yeah. yeah you know you know, he maybe was a bit naive i don't know but yeah i mean he seemed to be pretty nice he cared about the passengers he checked on people all the time you know just you know, it's yeah, and you know, for for a guy who basically owned the ship, you know, I guess that's notable. Um, so yeah, he the officers also wanted to raise the ship's speed though because uh, they wanted to see what she could do. Uh, a big reason for this was something called the slip table. It was a document that was meant to allow the crew to gauge how fast the ship was going just by how many revolutions the engines were running at. Um, and they wanted to go faster to try to complete the slip table. Um, so that was so basically that was planned for April 15th or 16th, um, not the 14th. Uh, the day of the 14th started out, you know, bright and clear uh, for several days. Titanic had been sailing on calm seas. Um, it had been gradually nothing to look at. Totally flat blue yep. expanse. Yeah. 
Nothing uh, to do, nothing to talk about. Play some bridge, smoke some cigars, yeah. send some telegrams. Yep. Yeah, and uh, send, yeah, send, it, sending it, a midnight telegram. You up? Stop. <laughs> More <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> they could send just... the fucking right flyer out over the Atlantic and have them drop some cigarettes over the side to me. I mean, hey, if they wanted cigarettes, they could buy them in the first class smoke room. Mm. Yeah, but they couldn't buy them by the crate, which is what you need. That's true. That's yeah. true. You, you need more cigarettes. Uh, no, I need my cigarettes, my special brand. My specific cigarettes. <laughs> oh, yeah. jazz cigarettes. Uh, so yeah, it had been increasing your speed. Uh, uh, you know, because it was a Sunday on the 14th, church services were held across the ship. Smith conducted services in the first class saloon, assistant purser, purser Reginald Barker. I forgot that when you're a captain of a ship, you can just kind of do whatever. Yeah, just be yeah. Like, yeah I'm a priest I'm now. A priest. Yeah. I'm, I'm a priest. Uh, but even the purser, Reginald Barker, he conducted services for second class. Um, and second class passenger Thomas Biles, he was a pastor. Uh, he also conducted his own Catholic mass in the second class library and held services for third class. Um, during the morning, the remaining three main double-ended boilers were lit uh, to be brought online once they were up to temperature and pressure. Uh, this left five single-ended boilers in boiler room one yet to be lit. So by this, so probably, you know, by this point, by the time Titanic hit the iceberg, she had one entire boiler room that probably wasn't being used. Um, so it's a bunch of guys standing around. Yep, job easy. It was mainly meant to be used in port, I believe. Um, mm. So yeah, and you know, and that's one of the myths of Titanic. Uh, so yeah, you know, um, yeah, you need the um, extra boiler to get up, get up to ramming speed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the turbo button on an old Pentium. Yeah. Uh, apparently, when Smith was uh, asked if he would slow down the ship for ice, Smith uh, was reported to have said, "On the contrary." Uh, and uh, said that they would speed the through lust? the ice field. <laughs> uh, it, so it yeah, speaks to me in my dreams. So, <laughs> so yeah, you know the the myth of the extra lit boilers. Yeah, it's the the ninety seven film famously shows Smith saying, "You know, we're speeding up. We just ordered the last boilers uh, lit." And uh, you know, the simple answer is that no. Um, all accounts uh, sh uh, point to the last boiler room. For the first one, technically being yeah. why, why even bother? They were making pretty good speed. Uh, I mean, yeah. also, you know, once you light those boilers, I'm sure it takes like ten hours for them to come up to pressure. Yeah, <laughs> they needed to. Yeah, once the yeah, it took all day for them to bring them up to temperature and pressure. Um, however, there is possible evidence that at least two of the boilers in Boiler Room One may have at least been fired up during the sinking. Um, a possible explanation, if it's true. Uh, is that it was done after the collision? Um, once it became clear that the forward boiler rooms were trying were flooding, maybe they lit the boilers and were trying to get them up to pressure in order to get the hell out of there. Yeah, mm. it, to keep the lights to get going to the bottom of the ocean yeah. faster, right? And yeah. drive it vertically downwards. You know, the funny thing is, there I know of a couple of shipwrecks where they went down so fast at an almost vertical angle that they literally dug themselves. Yeah, sticking out of the mud at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, that rules. Wow. 
That's how. If I ever crash a ship, that's how I want to crash Jesus a ship. Jesus Christ, Alice! <laughs> what? No, it's perfect. You just leave a perfect, like, sh a perfectly ship-shaped mud trench. <laughs> oh, okay. Fantastic. No, you know what? That actually does rule. I, I, I revised my earlier thinking. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, Ismay was reported to have said to some passengers, two more boilers are going to be opened up today." Um, but that doesn't mean he was referring to those boilers. He could have been referring to the ones who had, that had already been lit and they were about to be opened up to the steam lines. Um, mm. but seems had, pretty suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, if Titanic hadn't sunk, the last boilers probably surely would have been lit the next day, uh, maybe after midnight. Uh, yeah, so the, you can use them in the port. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe they did light them before midnight, and with the intention of running them the next day. But they wouldn't yeah, have with been... the intention of destroying the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they, but they, but they wouldn't have been anywhere in a state to be con contributing to the ship's speed. Um, next slide. Oh, we're finally getting into iceberg mode. Yes. I'm excited. Oh this thing's that cool. You could do it, Roz. There we go. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, ships on the Atlantic back then, they followed, a, well, I mean, ships today follow predetermined uh, routes or lanes. Um, in Titanic's case, uh, this involved a turn. Uh, basically, when they got to uh, a certain point, like level with New York, they, they, you know, they were going on a kind of southwesterly course. And when they got to the corner, as it was called, they made a right hand turn slightly straight towards New York. Um, hmm. And, uh, you know, Titanic turned the corner at 5.50 p.m. on April 14th, about three nautical miles off from the actual location of the corner. Um, so pretty good for 1912 navigation. Yes, some have claimed that it turned the corner too late, uh, that Captain Smith intentionally delayed the turn for some reason or another, or that... Conspiracy. It, Sabotage. It, yeah. And, and that some officers question this in reality. It doesn't seem to be the case. In all likelihood, Smith was just off in his calculations when he wrote down the orders for the turn. Um, oh. You know, he slightly underestimated the ship's speed, probably. Um, in the end, the turn was only off by 30 nautical miles, suggesting that Smith intended to stick closely to the course, even if imper imperfectly. Um, but, you know, 30 nautical miles, this was, you know, this course change meant that Titanic was now heading for the iceberg, but just didn't know it yet. Yeah, this iceberg which has taken this wandering path from the years glacier. Yeah. Glacier, Jesus Christ. Glacier! I know. It, 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 it's French, know. it's from the French for ice, glass, gla glass, glacier, glacier. I, I know what it's from. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the ice warnings, over the course of the 14th, the, the, she received several ice warnings. Um, you know, the yeah, but ice from the glacier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the Coronia said that they had reported uh, bergs and growlers <clears throat> that was delivered. What's a growler? I don't know. I it's think it's just bits of ice. It's, it's, uh, oh, okay. They reported vaginas. Uh, it's, um, it's something you can take to the yeah. brewery and they fill <laughs> yeah, it with beer. Get the beer. Yeah. No. Text texting back. Yo, you seen all the pussy out here? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a stop. rated clean podcast on <laughs> Apple. <laughs> Um, you know, the message was delivered to the bridge. Smith posted it for the officers. The Baltic Two sent in a report saying that uh, the Greek steamer Athenia reported icebergs in large quantities of field ice. That was delivered directly to Smith. 
while he was talking to Bruce Ismay, Ismay then put the ice warning in his pocket and later showed it to several passengers. Uh, by Weird. S- oh, by 17. Right. <laughs> Again, th- this guy just had Asperger's. Yeah. He just he was just like, <laughs> oh man, it's so cool that I get to be on this thing. I gotta tell everybody yes. all of the details about this thing that I'm on. Uh, uh, that was, yeah, it, it, by all accounts, Ismay was generally kept apprised of the progress on the ship because, of course, you know, he owned it. And, um, effectively. Um, and because he was having a great yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. Um, by 7.15 p.m., Smith asked for the paperback so he could post it in the chart room, which they oh. did. Um, so, you know, from and then another one from the America with a K. Uh, past uh, two large icebergs. Um, that's the hamburger line yeah, for you. That's the hamburger line. Uh, I've seen Man in the High Castle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this this message uh, was actually overheard. It was being sent to the hydrographic office in DC, but it was never sent to the bridge. Um, from the California, doesn't help that it was the SS America with a K. <laughs> um, they received ice warning from Californian. Uh, three large bergs, five miles to the southwest. Oh, California and German is so fucked too. With the K and Californian, oh. uh, but this was just Californian with a C. Oh, okay. Uh, 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 you know, it was sent to another ship, but Titanic overheard it and it was delivered to the bridge by Held Bride. But Smith was never made aware of it. Um, he was down in the restaurant having dinner. Um, uh, then they received a message from the Masaba. Saw much heavy pack ice, great number of large icebergs, also field ice, weather good, clear. Um, Captain can't answer you, he's busy eating a shitload of boiled meat. Yes. Yeah. Um, that the last third, message. The third class menu inclu- includes literal gruel. Like the menu <laughs> says gruel on it. <laughs> uh, the last message was delivered to the, bri- uh, to the bridge, and uh, yeah. Um, Bride was sleeping by then, and Jack Phillips was busy sending messages to Cape Race. Um, earlier that day, you know, it was customary to have a lifeboat drill on every crossing, usually Sundays if they could. Um, this was planned for Titanic, but they canceled it because of high winds in the afternoon. Well, good. Well, good thing we won't need them. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be banging those lifeboats against the hull, so in case you do need them, it's going to be like, you know. Yeah, but plus the ship already had a drill before it left Southampton for its certification, so they felt they probably felt like, yeah, we don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, yeah, by late night, around 11 p.m., <clears throat> passengers were getting to bed, and, you know, they, they were, or, you know, they were up in the smoke room, various other places. Um, you know, some were just reading and stuff in their cabins. In the first class dining saloon, stewards are setting up tables for breakfast. Um, you know, first officer Murdoch was left in charge of the bridge. Captain Smith retired to his quarters. Uh, you know, what he was doing, who knows? Um, Jacking off. Loading <laughs> cases of cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his cabin is just like 90% cigarette by volume. Uh, you know, other deck crew went about their duties. Quartermaster George Rowe was at his post on the docking bridge. Um, Quartermaster Al- Alfred Oliver was on the compass platform, uh, you know, uh, by over the lounge working on a compass. Uh, Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee were, you know, freezing their butts off high in the crow's nest. Um, mm. Watching for ice, right? Yeah. Doing yeah. a subpar job of it. Mm. <laughs> they were busy looking at Jack and Rowe. Oh, wait, not Jack and Rose. Who are they? Uh, Kevin Costner uh, uh, and Whitney Houston, Houston. Yeah. Yes. from yeah. the film, The Titanic. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so they, d wasn't there a thing about them not having binoculars? Oh, I'm getting to that. Um, okay, saves weight, Alice. <laughs> so, for one thing, oh, uh, next slide. Oh, now we really are getting to it. Yeah, so w there's a theory that uh, there was a mirage that night. Uh, the sky was clear, no moon. Um, that alone made it difficult to spot anything. Um, you know, you can't just spot things by starlight. Um, mm. the, the air was getting colder over the course of the day. Uh, it dropped below freezing. Uh, by that, you know, the, the, the ocean was a flat calm, perfectly still. Uh, the water temperature, you know, by the time of the sinking was 28 degrees Fahrenheit, well below freezing. Fun. No, thank you. Um, and so, yeah, historian Tim Moulton uh, did research on the weather in the area of Titanic on that night, and uh, it would, basically there are perfect conditions for a uh, uh, a mirage. Um, Titanic was crossing in that area from the warmer Gulf Stream to the uh, you know to the colder Labrador Current, uh, and it was cooling from the bottom up uh, the air, so it created a thermal inversion, most likely. And that would have probably led to a superior mirage uh, for the iceberg. That meant the berg was probably, you know, it could have been obscured by the horizon until it was much closer. And for the Californian, which we'll talk about, um, it probably obscured uh, some of Titanic's lights and possibly the Morse, Morse lamps between the two ships. Mm. Um, well, of course, we'll never know for sure, but it's a definite possibility, at least. Sort of a nightmare scenario, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another one of those unfortunate circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um so the binoculars. Um it was commonly, you know, it's obviously it's often claimed that the lookouts on Titanic were, you know, if only they had binoculars, they would have seen it. Um and that, you know, oh, they were supposed to have binoculars, but they didn't have them. Uh, Frederick Fleet himself claimed at the American Inquiry that, you know, maybe he could have spotted the Berg sooner if he had binoculars. Um, in reality, all of Titanic's officers had pairs of binoculars. Um, whether the lookouts were meant to be given to sets is unknown. <coughs> uh, I you know. would think that would be the people you would want to have yeah, the lookouts yeah. right in the name. Uh, that's that was a weird thing. Like on a trip from Belfast, second officer Blair, um, he was the original second officer of Titanic before being replaced by Lytoller. So, you know, Blair escaped, uh, you know, got off lucky. Um, mm. uh, during that, during the Belfast to the Southampton voyage, um, Blair had provided the lookouts, his pair of, uh, binoculars, <clears throat> but, um, Lytoller, Lytoller was asked by lookouts about binoculars, but he apparently didn't think to give them his, uh, kind of a dick. I mean, Light kind of was a little bit of a dick. Uh, yeah, and also su survived, survived, and lived into the Second World War, where he was a very, yeah, very hard man, very tough man. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, prickly, hmm. yeah. I think the word might be. <laughs> but but apparently, you know, Light was, you know, aside from his own, he wasn't able to find a pair. Um, uh, but you know, there are caveats to this. Even if they had binoculars, um. Lookouts often trusted their own eyes before anything else. You know, Fleet also said that uh, he would have, you know, he would have only used binoculars if he thought he saw something on the horizon. Um, mm. And another lookout uh, on Titanic named Hogg um, also <laughs> stated that he did depend on his eyesight before resorting to binoculars. Um, 
inquiry testimony was nearly unanimous um, that binoculars would have been useless for spotting ice uh, objects like bergs under the conditions of that night. Um, even modern tests, you know, people trying to look at stuff through binoculars, it, it's just useless. Like, imagine you're just looking ahead of you and you're trying to look at you're looking through binoculars. You probably miss the iceberg. You're looking somewhere else. You're looking somewhere else. You're looking for a three masted schooner you can wreck into. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Is he yeah. shoveling Irishman into the uh, firebox? <laughs> so, so, you know, at the end of the day, it, it I think it's safe to say that binoculars almost certainly wouldn't have done anything. Mm. Um, they just wouldn't have been using them at the time. Um, but, you know, now we're getting to the famous part where we talk about the exact time the disaster happens. Yeah, you're about to say a oh, time. Boy. Right. Yeah. So at eleven thirty nine PM April fourteenth. There it is. Uh what's going to happen? <laughs> Lookouts right <laughs> at eleven thirty nine, a guy asks for some ice in his drink in the bar. Irony ensues. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh Lookouts Reginald Lee and Frederick Fleet, uh up in the crow's nest, uh spot a dark mast directly ahead of the ship in the water. Um Fleet reaches for the bell and rings it three times. Then he picks up the, the phone that was in the crow's nest. Uh, direct connection to the bridge. After a few rings, Sixth Officer Moody uh, answered, asking, yes, what do you see? Iceberg right ahead. And Moody said, thank you. And then he hung up. And then he relayed. Very polite. Yeah, very polite. And then he relayed iceberg right ahead to Murdoch. Um, now, the hard to starboard order was given by by Murdoch uh, as he rushed from the bridge wing, uh, which he was on at the time, to the navigating bridge, um, uh, you know, which meant that quartermaster Robert Hitchens needed to turn the helm to the left as far as it could go. So the ship began to turn. Um, you know, if uh, if the ship had continued turning to port, it would have ground against the berg along most of its length. And, you know, Murdoch knew this, so as Titanic was passing the Berg, you know, he port-rounded it, but uh, that's shown later here. Um, as Hitchens turned the wheel, he would have felt uh, more resistance as he hit the, as he got closer to the, uh, you know, going hard over. Um, and, you know, the wheel was attached to a telemotor, which uh, was attached to hydraulic lines that went to the steering engines at the back of the ship. Um, and they turned the rudder. So, um, you know, the steering engines would have immediately begun turning the rudder. Um, you know, but as we've seen, these are sort of hard things to maneuver. Yes. Kind of. So, uh, is that what it says in the inquiry? Kind of. It gives you directions to make that noise. Yeah. Well, so, so so back in the crow's nest, you know, Reginald Lee noticed a ship beginning to turn, basically right after right after Moody had replied, "Thank you." Um, so you know, there's a claim that they mixed up the rudder orders, and you know, and they're like, "Oh, well, the 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 quartermaster." No, I meant your left. Yeah, my left or um, stage left. <laughs> Stop. And, and and that's not true. Uh, yeah, that's just it was, it was a random person in a book making a claim. Um, the ship resisted know, in, the turn because it thought that's a um, that is a sloop right ahead. I need to run it down. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing, though. It actually didn't resist the turn. Um, Just ditch yeah. up. Uh, Titanic. <laughs> Titanic. Uh, 
Uh, oh, wait, actually, I'm getting to that. But, uh, you know, the starboard versus port, you know, in the days of sail and tillers, you would move the tiller to the left to turn right. Uh, and they just kept those orders even after you just turned the wheel to the right, you know, you know. Um, so, you know, the, another thing about Titanic is the rudder size. People like to say, oh, the rudder was too small. Uh, you know, in fact, the rudder was actually plenty uh, sufficient, especially if you consider how much, you know, you know, how much of the rudder was below the water. Um, it was especially effective due to the central propeller, which is located directly behind the, you know, uh, behind the rudder, basically. Um, which created, in effect, a uh, stream or jet of water that could be, you know, directed one way or another. Um, it should also be noted that Titanic had the same size designer rudder as Olympic, and, um, you know, Olympic had no problems navigating with it. I mean, you know, <clears> she, she was able to quickly turn and run down a German U-boat. Uh, couldn't get out of the way of the light ship, but, you know, she probably was trying to get to it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and fog, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's also a photo that was taken by uh, Father Brown uh, from Titanic during the uh, early part of the crossing, and you could see a, a serpentine S-shaped course, and it was a very sharp turn in the wake. Like, Titanic was clearly able to turn fast and effectively. Um, so, you, you know, uh, it, it, but it's, uh, yeah, the, the engine orders... You know, next, after he ordered the turn, Murdoch rushed to the main engine order, telegraphed to the bridge. Um, yeah, this is the next slide, actually. Um, and the, of course, there's the rudders and stuff. Yeah. And the turning mm -hmm. engine. Um, so, yeah, he ordered the, you know, he rushed to the main order engine tele uh, telegraph. He swung the handles to stop. Um, Which is cool. That's a cool thing to do. It's a cool piece of machinery uh, to operate. I've always wanted cool. to to swing one of those directly to like all ahead stop or like flank speed or something. They were really cool. Uh, they were basically how they worked is um, they were attached. When you move the handles, it turned a bunch of gears. These were attached to some cables and chains that ran all the way through the ship to the engine rooms or wherever they were meant to go. Um a bunch of a massive pulley system down in the engine mm. room. They had their own set of telegraphs. There would be an, uh, a, an arrow pointer that would swing to stop. They would see that they would turn the handles on their telegraph down there, which would move a pointer on the bridge indicating that they got the order. Um, so, you know, the, the stop order was uh, given, you know, at least from the evidence we have, um, down in Boiler Room 6, leading fireman Barrett was talking to second engineer John Hesketh when he saw a stop order on the telegraph and shouted, shut all the dampers. Um, the engines couldn't be stopped or reversed on a dime, though. You know, by the time Titanic struck the Berg, it's very likely the propellers didn't even stop yet. Um, hmm. How far away was it, do we know? Or is it just, like, best guess when they... Uh, it's difficult to say. Um... Well, for you know, for well, for one thing, um, we don't know, we don't know. Uh, it's claimed that the engines reversed. Now, obviously, in Titanic, uh, you know the you know, the scene they reversed them, and the you know, uh, but Boxall, fourth officer Boxall, was the only person to testify that there was a full stern order. Um, there were others in positions to see what order was given, and they all said it was a stop order. 
quarter, mm. quartermaster Hitchens and Oliver on the bridge gave detailed testimonies. They never mentioned full stern. Um, others in the engine and boiler rooms also testified to stop orders. Um, it is known that the engines went into reverse after the collision for about a half a minute or so. Um, and the, after they came to a stop, um, whether this was the order referred to by Vauxhall or given during the collision, you know, we'll never know. Um, but that brings us to the timing, you know, because, you know, how much time did Titanic have from spotting the Berg? Mm. Um, it's often claimed that the time from the Berg being spotted to the collision was 37 seconds. This is probably not accurate. Uh, it comes from a combination of, uh, uh, accounts from survivors on the bridge and, um, a comparison to Olympics time that it took to turn two points because it's claimed that Titanic turned two points on the compass before hitting the Berg. Um, you know, you have to consider other things though, like the port rounding order. Um, and, uh, so we don't know basically. Yeah, yeah, we don't know, but it's probably safe to say that they barely had any time at all. Like maybe 30 seconds, maybe less, maybe more. Um, but, you know, by Which the in, the, in this yeah. context is nothing. Yeah, I mean, by the time the Berg was spotted, they were effectively right up on top of it. There was very little time to act. And it's also worth noting that the, there may have been some considerable time that elapsed after the ringing of the bell and before the turn order, maybe as much as 20 to 30 seconds. Mm. Um, yeah, at any rate, there was barely any time at all, like none turn. Like Titan, it doesn't matter how good Titanic was at turning. It just, just barely, it just couldn't get out of the way. Mm. Um. So at eleven forty one, uh, next slide. Dunk. Yep. Dunk. Whoopsie. <laughs> the collision. Um, this took mere seconds. Uh, the ship was going at a pretty good clip. Still, the iceberg would have passed by very quickly. Um. Uh, I, you know, ice was shaved off the berg, fell on the forward well deck. Uh, later in the sinking, passengers were seen kicking it around like soccer, uh, <laughs> playing with it. Um, yeah, what else are you gonna? You might as well have some fun, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, most barely felt the collision. Um, some very much, depending on where they were. You know, one said that it was like rolling over a thousand marbles. The blow was glancing, but the force was enough to bend plates and pop rivet seams. Oof. Um, yeah, you can see the joints where it's like where the plate fails, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but but you know, as it passed the berg, the stern began swinging the port as the you know as the berg was passing the middle. Um, you know, because of Murdoch's port round order, and good thing too, probably. Um. The Berg passed close by the stern and uh, quartermaster George Rowe, who was on the docking bridge over the poop deck, you know, he thought it was a, he thought the Berg was about 100 feet high. Others described the Berg as being like the rock of Gibraltar. Um, I kind of love that it could still have been worse, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, in boiler room six, uh, Fred Barrett was uh, looking to the starboard side of the room and he literally saw the iceberg damage happen. Uh, he saw water starting to pour in two feet above the floor plates in the room. Nope. Don't like that. Nope. Um, you know, there are numerous stories from the collision, you know. Um, you know, first class passenger Edith Rosenbaum felt several jolts, uh, jolts and noticed the lack of engine vibrations. 
She looked her the away. The joke about a guy asking for ice is sometimes presented as like an apocryphal, like a true story. <laughs> you know, she saw uh, a ghostly wall of light outside the window. Um, you know, other people saw the same thing. Um, first class passenger Edwin Kimball. He was in cabin D-19 with his wife when the Berg passed, uh, standing in the middle of the room. You know, he noticed a scraping and tearing sound, and suddenly pieces of ice came in through his porthole. Yeah. Oh, air conditioning. Um, oh, very nice. Yeah. Uh, he worried his wife a bit. Um, yeah, it would. It would do. Yeah, it really would worrying. Yeah. I would be. I would be perturbed at this <laughs> point. Um, Jack Thayer was uh, getting ready for bed in C sixty six when he felt the collision. It caused him to sway a bit, and he felt as if the. F- the ship was being pushed to the side slightly. Um, Feels that the ship's being bullied. Yeah, Major Arthur uh, Pushin was getting ready for bed in C-104 when he sensed something of a, you know, he sensed as if the ship had sh- you know, struck something, uh, causing a little, slight quiver. Little do you know. Uh, mm-hmm. He was immediately suspicious because uh, he knew the sea was calm, so he dressed and left his room to investigate. Yeah, you would not catch me in a sort of like a, a dressing gown situation here, I think. Oh, yeah. Going down in, in suit and tie, goddammit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Liam goes down uh, formally, doesn't go down at all. Um, you know, Philadelphian Eb, uh, Emma Bucknell was in D15 on the starboard side. She felt the jar, and then she saw go the birds. bird pass. Yep. Go birds. Uh, go birds. Do not go Bucknell, though, those fucking dweebs. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and generally that story was the same for many passengers. They many were jarred awake. Some were woken up or, or noticed the engines uh, stopping. Um, some sold iceberg pass. Blah blah blah. Um, at any rate, the uh, you know as this was happening, Murdoch went to the watertight door switch on the bridge. Um, he sounded the alarm before he closed the doors. Then he turned the switch, and the uh, watertight doors. In the, in the lowest levels started to drop. Um, there was no big control panel like in the movie, probably. Um, just mm. a switch. Crucially, only those ones, because everything mm-hmm. else you have to send a guy to do. Uh, yeah. Poor Irishman. Yeah. Um, the crew in the boiler rooms also were not trapped by the doors. Um, there were catwalks and ladders going up through the casings uh, to E-deck in the, the very top. Well, that's handy. Mm-hmm. I was always like, uh, that was always my nightmare about like ship mm-hmm. sinking, is like, if they close a waterproof compartment It'll just trap on me you. in there, yeah, no thanks. I don't no, need claustrophobia, no, as I'm gonna die of uh, exposure. You have to do a horrible thing no one wants to do, which is climb stairs. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Not just stairs, yeah, but ladders. You, you climb the stairs, the pusher robot is waiting for you at the top. <laughs> um, of course, uh, some crew stayed behind to draw the fires from the boilers and pump water out, even as water was rushing into, like, boiler room six. That's nice of them, I wouldn't do that shit. <laughs> yeah, no. uh, a few did rush through the closing doors. You're not gonna catch me doing my job. <laughs> no, fuck that. <laughs> um, you know, by about eleven forty-two, the ship was slowing. Um, yeah, you know, it, there was a possible reversal of the engines, and then a slow ahead order for a short time, and then after that, a stop order was given, and the ship came to a stop for the last time. F. F. Um, at eleven forty-five or so, they began letting off steam from the boilers. Um, these were this is via uh large pipes on the fore and aft sides of the funnels they see in the picture there um it was and just for a bit of drama so you get a lot of steam from the funnels yeah. so, so these are incredibly loud right 
Yeah, they mm. were unbelievably loud. They were heard all over the ship. Um, people could barely talk to each other, even in the ship. Um, just a, a very loud, low roar. Um, Another thing, if you're watching the Titanic movie, um, you should put on a sort of overwhelmingly loud steam rushing off sound <laughs> while watching the entire mm. film. <laughs> I'm almost saying yeah. this. Um, of course, they did this because the steam from the boilers wasn't being used, and you know, if they didn't, kaboom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, but once the boilers were cold after some time, the venting stopped. Next slide. The iceberg struck the hull on the starboard side below the waterline. There was no big gash, just about one to six inch wide gaps, approximately. So um, you need, yeah. From visual inspections of the wreck and sonar mappings, um, we basically found that there's uh, trace damage in the forward peak tank and the flooding the first compartment, five and six foot openings in the cargo hold on the orlap deck, which flooded the second compartment, uh, a 16 foot opening running across watertight bulkhead B, and a 33 foot opening across watertight bulkhead C, which flooded the third and fourth compartments. Um, then there was a 45 foot opening through most of the fifth watertight compartment. So it could have survived that first glancing blow, mm. but then it's scraping down the side is what did for it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and this last gash especially is what did it. 45 foot opening, you know, that took out boiler room six. It, and it also, ex- and it also extended slightly past watertight bulkhead E into the sixth compartment, which was uh, boiler room five, but it only went in slightly to the, uh, to the uh, coal bunker. I, I uh, yeah, coincidentally the same coal bunker that was on fire. So you know, uh, uh, fire's hmm. out now, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but for a while, this uh, boiler room five was kept dry. Like they were able to get pumps in and keep the water low and keep the bunker closed. So for now, that room didn't flood. But um, yeah, you know, the gases were sped out over about two hundred and thirty feet. Uh, even with just the five compartments, it was more than enough to doom the ship. Nice. <laughs> Kill a death. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, so yeah, the initial flooding is seen in the uh, diagram bottom left. You know, those areas just started flooding immediately. Um, hmm. So, you know, cargo holds, peak tank, fireman's tunnel, uh, which is the main access way between the uh, boiler the rooms. Jeffrey's tube. Yeah, yep. basically. Um, reserve coal bunkers, um, boiler room six, absolutely screwed. By 1150, the mail, within 10 minutes of the collision, water began flooding into the mail room on the overlap deck. Postal worker. Oh no, my mail. Yeah, postal workers tried so to haul sacks of mail. cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> the postal workers famously tried to haul sacks of mail to higher decks, uh, of course. Again, you know, I would not be doing this yeah. shit. Yeah, and of course, none of them survived. Again, reason why I would not be doing this shit. Um, Fuck your mail. <laughs> <laughs> I heard. Uh, I heard something interesting, which is that if somebody were to recover mail from the Titanic, it would need to be delivered, and it would be illegal to like keep it or something. Oh yeah, that's like mail fraud. You don't uh, want to fuck around with that. Um, Post postal inspector wearing <laughs> one of those like deep weather satura- saturation diving suits. You know, passengers started to get roused after the collision. Obviously. Um, either by themselves from feeling the collision or from stewards going around to wake people up. There were no alarms on the ship, no sirens, no 
flashing lights, no nothing. Hmm. Mm. Well, because that would be gauche. Yeah, I was about to say. Um, let's see. Next slide. Bad news, folks. I'm going to have to leave you there. This episode's very long already, and it only got longer from here on out. Um, so if you want more Titanic, you'll have to wait until next week. Or maybe you could pirate the movie, or you could read the Wikipedia article. I mean, you know, it sinks. I, I think we all know that, right? Next week, we'll talk about the uh, sinking part in excruciating detail. Um, anyway, good luck all, and good night. Or excuse me, good morning, because I release these things at 8 a.m.